Sailors, know that the finest naval traditions of the world are yours to uphold. I know every one of you will do your duty. Admiral, why are we sailing straight into those icebergs? Our ships are titanic, but they don't still think. Admiral, don't that ominous theme music mean sharks are around the ships? Sharks that will sh sink our lifeboats and eat us for dinner? Admiral, shouldn't we be concerned that Kevin Costner is ahead of us searching for dry land? We haven't seen any for a long time! Oh, Admiral, please tell us that the octopus woman with two wheels beckoning us from underwater is nothing to worry about, please? She looks way too eager. Though this undertaking is not easy, at least you are assured of one thing, my fine cadets. Your mission will not be boring! Believe me when I say there are worse things than challenges right in front of you that can be beaten! Mommy, you okay? Ma! Come with me if you want to live. Theorizing that one could travel within their own lifetime, two old RP gamer staff members stepped into the RPG Backtrack Time Accelerator and vanished. They woke to find themselves trapped in the past, playing and talking about computer and console RPGs from the 80s right up to yesteryear, driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. Their only guides on this journey are other staff and players from RPGamer.com who they meet to help record podcasts that only their audience can listen and hear. And so, Phil and Mike find themselves leaping from game to game, striving to put right gaming backlogs gone wrong, and hoping each time that their next recording will be the one that leads them home. Welcome to the RPG Backtrack. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 107. Or as we like to say down south, Ciento Siete. <laughs> Tactical Stars of Destiny. I'm your host, Phil Willis, and this is... Mike Minky, the other host. I'm wondering when you learned Spanish in Utah. I didn't know it was that much in call in the state of Utah. Smell. My cat just farted. Oh, terrible bad kitty. Squeeze those cheese. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Okay, that's the first for our intros. Oh man, it stinks. I can't. My eyes are tearing up. It's like mustard gas. Oh. There's nothing like a fat cat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's getting back at me for yelling at him to get down from in front of the computer monitor before recording. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, uh, let's see. Today we're talking about uh, a couple of Suikoden games and perhaps a cat or two. And to help us out with that, today we have Mr. Nathan. Hello, everyone. 
And we have Miss Becky more cutting than you and I, Ham. Something like that. I am actually eating a pork chop. Becky pork chop ham. More cutting pork chop. Cutting chop. The ham's already in the name. Hmm. Oh. And yeah. Talking about some Swigaden games today, right? Yes. Steve. We are continuing from where we left off. Was it a year ago? I think it was. And unfortunately, we, from Sweet Coden 3 to Sweet Coden 4 is not the uh, jump in quality we would like it to have been. Well, I, I, yeah. well, you know, I don't know what you're talking about because, uh, you know, Corey, my notes here, Sweet Coden 4, best one of the series. So we got a lot of cool things to talk about there. According to what? And it's the best of the series? Come on now. IGN's never wrong. Um, so we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back to talk about the uh, next two Suikoden games on our list. Hold on tight. Mike, it's still lingering in the air. Wow! Even after that song, it's like the the bunny rabbit, the Energizer bunny rabbit. It just keeps going and going. I need some better air ventilation in the basement. Does your cat have a digestive system that should be donated to science post haste? Wow! They 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 could use that to wake people who've been sleeping too long or something. Wow! Anywho, from what you described, they could use it to wake the dead. Yeah, wake the dead. Alright, so let's talk about let's talk about the opposite of that. Let's talk about really fun and exciting games tonight with Soikoden 4. Developed by Konami Computer Entertainment Tokyo. Published by Konami. This was uh, released on the PlayStation 2 in Japan on August 19, 2004. North America on January 11, 2005. And in the Europe area is February 25th, 2005. This is a single-player RPG experience coming to you on one hot sizzling DVD-ROM. I'm not sure much about this game is sizzling. Oh, man, it is absolutely sizzling, man. I'm sitting here looking at IGN's review, and oh my goodness, they are so excited about this game. I, I can come up with one thing that was kind of cool. Well, actually, a couple. The the interrogation room, that's kind of fun. I don't know about yeah, sizzling, but... And the other is good. when you hear Vicky sneeze whenever she does something in combat. That was fun. <laughs> um... I, I guess you know what you're what's... going good places when Vicky sneeze is one of the highlights. <laughs> Trust me, I'm I'm working very hard not to come down on this as hard as I could, and I yeah. may not succeed. All right, really quick, right, is I'll... it better than three? No, no, no. Okay, absolutely not. Uh... If IGN says that, then IGN can chalk up another moronic aspect. 
Uh, you know, he says the reality is Suikoden 4 is in fact quite the entertaining RPG, one that has infinitely more characterization than anything else on the market. What? This is one of the, as of the early, worst. as of early 2005, that's what he said. Yeah. Okay. Does this guy play no RPGs? Oh, he he apparently played all the Suikoden's. You know, <laughs> just just uh, love this one. Okay, because wow. you know, right now this game is basically okay. Circuit in One's probably a little bit worse. This isn't the worst characterization of anything in the, the entire series. It's really bad at that. Like this is one of his weakest points. So let's stop listening to this guy. Really, He's, let's just stop. Well, maybe maybe it isn't about the character. Maybe it's the battle system. To its credit, the battle system Circuit in Four is definitely an improvement over Three. Oh my God, no! Just no. Yep. Uh, I, I can appreciate the idea he's going for here because at least you have direct control over everybody. Yeah, direct control. No, you've gone from six to four people. Why did you do that, Konami? Faster yeah, pacing? No. Okay, well, okay, one thing. This game, one oh. thing I will say is that this game is pretty quick with its battle system. Things happen yeah. pretty quickly within it. But that's for the only praise I can give it. Because otherwise, it's, you know, this is Swicken One's battle system with two characters removed. That's what this is. This is kind of... Yeah, and, and the load times, they're not terrible, but when you get saddled with constant random battles, then you're going to get sick of them real fast. I guarantee yeah. it. This has got to be the first and time... This is a game where I... Oh, go ahead. I retreat from every other fight, fight because I'm sick of the encounter rates. And the boring, battles are boring. Yep. And, you know, the one perk of this game is retreating is really easy. <laughs> yep, I remember doing that a lot. But even then, you've already had to sacrifice the 15 seconds or so it took to load and then to load the screen you were on again. Yeah, that's quite true. You know, this is the first time I've actually heard somebody say the following. Um, while, uh, while the faster pacing and increased encounter rate make combat in Suikoden exciting again. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say that increased random encounters in an RPG is a good thing. I've never heard anybody speak of that positively. Yes, you know yes I re- give me more random encounters every two steps. <laughs> I remember Spicoden 3. For all the complaints you could make about its battle system, you could not say they come every five seconds, because they didn't. The game spaced them out nicely. Well, maybe maybe it's not the battle system. Moving on to the next paragraph, he makes it clear that also fun in the ex- in the inclusion of a ton of new and classic minigames that have become the staple of the Spicoden franchise. Minigames. Come on, man. What, are you talking about the one that lets you recruit Rita, where you have to pretty much guess which card she's going to pick until you get her? Oh, you got you got bathroom scenes, you got dice games, spinning top games, Mahjong looks alike. Uh, Poli- I don't even remember uh, most a, of that. There's a lot of mini games. I mean, I, I give the same credit for reenacting the military battle system from Swicked 1 as a mini game, but, you know, there's only so far you can go with mini games. Well... Yeah, if you want mini games, go break out your Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Awesome, <laughs> the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, the ultimate collection of mini games. That's what Frogger more or less counts as nowadays, and it's a fun game. Ay, ay, ay. Um, yeah, actually, that's why my mom was saying that um, I was talking to her about the Playstations or whatever have you, and she says I miss Atari. You know, those were simple games: one controller, one button. You know, and if I wish they had more games like that on the the current consoles, and so uh, yeah, I told her that you can actually, you know, on the PlayStation through the PlayStation Network, I actually do have a lot of classic games. 
Ast- you know, Stardust is basically souped up asteroids. They got the Pac-Man Championship Edition, etc., etc. So, uh, but how do we get off on that? We're talking about Suikoden, so and how awesome it is. So, who wants to talk about the super awesome story of Suikoden Four, the mind-blowing no. game of the year? Story. I can start. Start, and someone else can pick up after that. Okay, you start, uh, Nathan. Okay, so this game starts when suddenly you are plunged into a random bat- military battle. In, in this game, that means ship fighting because this game is, takes place in the island nations, and you get everyone in a boat. Anyways, you're attacked. You can either win or catastrophically lose. Doesn't matter because this is just a training battle, and it's basically just a quick tutorial. As these characters, you are playing as an unnamed hero whose I guess his default name is Laszlo. Is that right? I think it is. And Laszlo, yeah. my oh my, he really does look like the Chucky doll to me. I thought he, I always thought he just it looks kind of constipated. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. He does look kind of creepy, especially at first. I'm not sure what it is, but it's creepy looking. Maybe it's the giant eyes and really crunched and roundish face. I don't know. Anyways, he is a trainee under the Knights of Gaian, an organization of knights who are from the country of Gaian, naturally. Which is, you know, it's supposedly a big, important country, but all we ever see of it is this tiny little island he's from called Razrael. And he's just graduating alongside his bunch of his companions, including his best friend Snow, the son of the Lord of Israel. And so they become knights and graduate and go on their first training mission. And you spend like two hours doing nothing, and all they do is just chilling around as night cadets, early knights, and that's it. I'm amazed how long this took to get through, honestly. And then and nothing all happens. hell breaks loose. Well, it even takes a while for that to happen. It's just, you suddenly you're attacked by a pirate dragged in with the kind of shady merchant. And this pirate is Pirate Brando, who is, you know, you, you know, everyone's heard, probably heard Steve Blum's evil voice. This guy is Steve Blum's evil voice. And you fight him, and he's, despite being the king, the leader of the pirates and having the power of a true rune, he actually is pretty weak. He's actually statistically weaker than my main character at the time, which kind of surprised me. And... And that's about it. You fight him, and suddenly he releases. He uses the power of his true rune, even to stop from being caught. Promise the power of his true rune kills him, which is you know a side effect he should have really worried more about. But hey, I guess he's desperate. And yeah, if you're gonna die anyway, you might as well die knowing that you've tried everything. Yeah, and also he had this creepy companion who you know isn't even named, but still she manages to show up in the next game we're gonna talk about anyways. And oh, yeah, I forgot all about him. He reminded me of uh, Igor. Yeah, he's kind of like that, with a giant wooden shield on his back. And, you know, he uses the past rune, and it's it kind of, the rune is transferred over to the leader of the cadet at the Glenn. Glenn. Yep. Yeah, it's a kind of a cool guy, but not terribly complicated guy, but kind of a cool guy. So he he, now he might have been complicated turn. if he'd had more screen time. Yeah, if he had more screen time. And so he has now inherited this rune. The, this mysterious cursed rune. Yeah, everyone knows this all the games all about this rune because that's what fucking games are. And he doesn't seem to be having a fun time with it. No, he's actually kind of lying on death's door, but from the moment he gets the rune, which is yeah, that's pretty harsh. And so stuff happens, and then pirates attack, and then you beat them off, and then they attack again. And in the, st- in the middle of the second attack, the leader has to stand up and use this rune and blows everything away and dies. But because Laszlo. Because the plot says so, more or less, Laszlo has to wander up there, even though Glenn is supposedly cut off from everybody, to be yeah. there for the rune to latch onto. 
Yeah, in the meantime, well, snow happens. Because snow is supposedly the best friend of the hero. He's the son of the Lord of Razrael. But from very from bad when Pirate Brando first attacked, he started screaming out how he couldn't move his arm. And even though he was the captain of the ship, he hopped off and ran, leaving everyone else behind. And everyone hated him for it because he was a weak coward. Because he well, he didn't, ju- he didn't just do that. He also tried to get everyone else to run away with him. And when they wouldn't, he just stole the lifeboat and yeah. paddled away by himself. Yeah, pretty much. Just in time for Glenn yeah, so, to come along and look at him. <laughs> yeah, and punch him in the face. Deservedly. <laughs> Quite if so. anyone deserved a punch in the face, Snow does in this game. He gets twice from Glenn. Not enough. Nope. And the moral of the story is, if you name your video game character Snow, he will get punched in the face. <laughs> I have no problem with that becoming a rule that everyone <laughs> follows. And <laughs> uh, So, yeah. And Can yes, I mention that... that... Well, to to try and make up for his very public disgrace, during the pirate attack, Snow attempts to go far further than he should, and what do you know, that puts all of his men in danger when when his is the only ship going out there after them. And he has to be rescued by everyone else. Yeah. And then, well, what do you know, Commander Glenn is dead, Laszlo was the only one there, and Snow, how much he knows is up to anyone's guess, but what he says is that, You killed him! And, well, thanks, Snow. You're, you're a great pal. Yeah, no one even is willing to believe the fact that, you know, the commander going out and doing something, in, you know, while more terribly, horribly injured might have led to his death. It's, nope, it had to be the hero, even though Glenn was kind of like a big father figure to the hero and clearly really looked out for him and everything. See, this is, this is one point where not having a silent protagonist would have been very helpful. I would yeah. have liked to hear what Laszlo had to say about this. Yeah, this would have helped a lot. I mean, Switch and 3 was nice for not having Silent Hero. It's a big improvement for the series. 4 throws that out the window. Really annoying. And then Sigurd and Tyrkis has a hero that you kind of wish was Silent, but you know. No, I liked that hero. Never gonna have to try. Eventually. <laughs> Never know, let's try. So, let's see. Yeah, Snow has just... Uh, well, let's see. What, what, van, what bad personality traits has he not displayed? Yeah, it's... He hasn't and, punched a kitten. I'm sure since he's out of the spotlight for a long time, we don't see exactly how he got to be commanding the defense fleet around Rosril. Yeah, but that's the, maybe that like, wasn't involved. Yeah, the thing is, like you know, immediately after the commander is dead, they make Snow, the most hated and worthless guy in the, among the knights, the new commander. Why? Because he's got a rich dad, and that's and that you know how it I, always I, works. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy that. That's how these things happen. I know. It's still annoying. One more reason to punch him in the face. And so Laszlo gets exiled on a little life raft, no, a little boat with two of the four people who he was training with, and I ended up with Paula and Jewel. And you get, you also get Chipu, the... Okay, what is what is this species again? The cat people? Nakable. Nakable, yes. Who, I think he's supposed to be male, but his voice is most assuredly that of a female. Yeah. I hate those cats, and I love, like, every cat. Those things are creepy. <laughs> they, they kind of are. So it's a good this thing Chibu is with you for the whole next... <laughs> I have no solution here. <laughs> and isn't that, doesn't that make it great that Chiapu is with you and intimately involved in the plot, since he's the only mandatory character along with the silent protagonist with you for the whole deserted island scene? <laughs> oh, yeah. But just after you're banished from the kingdom for you know, doing something you didn't do. 
<laughs> it's the longest period of game where you, you go out in a boat and another boat finds you, but they're actually people of the Kulik Empire, so they, they try to kill you when they realize you're Gaian because they're enemies, and then... And they they would have done it, because they easily flatten you at that point in the game. Yeah, it's like, you know, one hit kill with your party members on a little battle, then you then suddenly you're okay again, you're full healed and you're running off the ship, and you have to fight some random battles to get your way out of the ship. Yes, random battles to get your way out of a ship. I, I don't know. You go two feet and there's two random battles. Well, that just means that the Kuluk soldiers are suicidal. That's how I interpret it. Yeah. Also that and they're then, really, really bad at their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and then you hop on your own useless boat and you go a bit of distance <laughs> and now it's more random battles in the ocean. And then eventually you get shipwrecked and there you're on an island. Which Where you is, get to wander around for You get to wander days. around doing very little for three days, going through the same cave three times, doing the same repetitive tasks a few times, and nothing of story important happens. Well, you're, until you're you gathering you... materials to make a raft. That is the most riveting scenario imaginable, isn't it? Yeah. And in the end, you have to fight a big crab. And you meet a mermaid in the meantime, who's kind of interesting first, and then she just turns, turns, into, turns into a joke. Like... Yeah. And she has four sisters who you will eventually find throughout the game. Yeah. If you get all 108 stars. Um, okay, so we get off the deserted island after, what is this? This was about an hour, hour and a half of just wandering around. Yeah, and in the meantime, you gain like 10 levels, which I just need to mention at this point. This game is weird. It's, since it's just like four hours in, you've not much has happened plot-wise, but you've gained 20 levels after the third level rune spell. And then you pretty <laughs> much stop gaining levels because the enemies don't get any stronger for a long time. Yeah, unless you just rush through the plot, at which point you know you just keep moving quickly. And it's kind of this when I first played this game, I I just got burned out because it felt like nothing was happening, and I've raised my level a lot. And I haven't actually even visited most of the map, but it turns out I was like one scene away from actually going into the final dungeon when I actually looked at a guide for it later on. <laughs> the pacing is weird in this game. It's awful. You can totally tell that the creator of Suikuden was gone and that the people left behind more or less threw ideas at the dartboard in an effort to figure out what the hell to do with the series after he was gone. Yeah, I mean, Dial the Nations isn't a bad idea. It's something that's talked about in previous games, like most regions they use, but well, you can only briefly. And, you know, there's just not much to work with here. They've got the cool idea of the rune, the hero's curse with the rune of punishment, which, you know, it's a true rune, but it's always work. But, you know, it's just a basic, you know, there's an evil empire that invades, and we fight them off, and that's it. And if you're going to have a tormented hero, they kind of got to be able to talk. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've got these two weird dream sequences you hit by this point when you hit, and until you get yeah, the power it, of the rune upgraded. But... It's supposed to inform you of the people who have held the rune before, and it kind of does, but it's it's in sort of an art movie way where you're going to have to really bring a lot of extra knowledge in to have any idea what the hell's going on here. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, this, I, I like the idea they have of all of these people who've suffered from Power of the Rune over the last several years, but it, it's not really like it's the center of the story. It's, no, like, the, don't know the center of the story tell. is beat off the Kuluk Empire. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we get off the deserted island. We wanted in the Kingdom of Obel, where we meet... You know, King Lino Enkuldes, who is actually a fairly interesting guy. Yeah, a fairly interesting guy who definitely has the odd impression of the first time you see him, he's in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. He never really changes his clothes, but he's the king. <laughs> he does change his clothes once, and only once that I remember, when he ah. needed to make an impression. Uh, I forget, It's fairly late in the game, but he puts on the royal robes once. <laughs> Otherwise, though, yeah, he's 
he and Jimmy Buffett would probably get along just fine. I liked that guy. He was pretty cool. Yeah, it's hard to meet Leo and told us. He's really like uh, the main mastermind behind all the good guys in the game, too. It's like, yeah, that's Wickham game. He would have been killed off early because that would have made sense. But no, he's actually just there the whole time. You know, He should be the guy, boss in charge, but he's not because he just prefers to have the hero do it, I guess. Yeah, there's some just flimsy justification about, well, the hero's got the rune of punishment that makes him logically the strongest of us all, which, you know, I can kind of get behind that. But if your leader is, like- is going to die any time he really uses his power, you, you can't trust in him too much. Yeah, it's the, the succession issues is the immediate problem with the guy who has the rune of punishment. <laughs> kind of a temporary office. <laughs> um... So let's see. Uh, I forget exactly what Lino and Kulis has you do, but you go off on a mission for him. You come back. What do you know? The Kuluk Empire is invading Obel. And Lino and Kuldes makes the royal de- decision that uh, sticking around to be there when the Kuluk troops arrive is a bad idea. So I'm going to unveil to you this really nice ship that I've had built hidden in a cave in a mountain. And we're going to bust it out, and you're going to flee away with me to spearhead the resistance against the Kuluk. While my daughter, Flair, because she just decides that she doesn't want to come with us right now, is going to stay here and watch over our people. And Flair is also a moderately interesting character. If she had more screen time, she would probably be very interesting. Yeah, I think Flair's character is, you know, she's immediately likable and interesting, and then probably disappears for most of the game. Yay! Yeah, you will see her when you liberate Kuluk, which is uh, 80% of the way through the game. Yeah, just... <laughs> And let's see. So the, from there we go to forming alliances, which involves. Oh yeah, we had to we had to go with Kika the pirate, who is also a cool character. Yeah, this is, she's actually a genuinely genuinely interesting character. Nice to see, but there are some good characters in the game. They're just kind of underutilized. Yeah, that's the problem. It's like there's good characters and good ideas. It's just it's rushing through everything and not really giving them the time and focus they need to be developed. Because no, you need no. to spend more time having random battles on the ocean. Ugh. Let, uh, let, let's get through the plot before we get to that. I, we can slam it all we want, though. Oh, boy, will we? Um, yeah, I, I did like Kika. Kika, because at least Three Code and Four had some interesting pirates. They didn't get to do much, but they were interesting. Arr. Kika never I mean, said Brando is interesting. I know. It's just, you know, he dies the first time you meet him. That doesn't help much. <laughs> no, and given the impressions you get later, his extremely evil kind of voice doesn't really seem to fit with what people say about him. But <laughs> who, am I to, who am I to judge the casting? Oh, yeah, the voice acting. We'll get to that. Okay, so Kika joins you, and you promptly have a, a ship battle with the Kuluk, who have decided to poke their eyes around the pirates area. And, um, yeah, that that pretty much leads into sailing around the ocean a lot on various fetch quests until you finally get to liberate Obel. <laughs> In the meantime, you recruit a Silverberg. Just kind of yes. like free. Eleanor Silverberg. She's Best cool. Best strategist in the series. I mean, okay, she's a Silverberg, and the only reason they have her, the only reason they use that name is because they're not being creative enough to create an alternative to the Silverbergs, I guess. So it's like, so we can game them sort of Silverberg strategist. It, it's really kind of bad, since they're so far away from anything where the Silverbergs are relevant. Well, she's supposed to be some kind of exiled Silver Scarlet Moon Empire personality. Okay. I don't know how she got all the way down there, but fine. She's she's cranky and drunk and awesome. <laughs> she looks like she ought to come out of a Dickens novel. 
tormenting <laughs> Oliver Twist. She's my favorite strategist, I will admit that. There are a few things I like about this game, and she is one of them. Um, you get Vicky and Jean, because it's a sweet coding game. And Jean, you can actually fight with this time, and what do you know? She's really good with spells. Who saw that coming? Yeah, and she's actually really useful because, well, how the battle, mass battle system works. She's going to be your main attacker in the mass battles for most of the game, as far as I recall. Okay, yeah, let's let's hit the conclusion now so we can get it out of the way. After several battles, driving the Kuluk back, at the direction of Eleanor, you attack the Kuluk mm, base or whatever it is on the at the southern edge of the continent, and Fort you fight... El Eleal? El Eleal, whatever they call it. Where you fight Graham Cray who is a severely underdeveloped villain. He's like a merchant of death, right? Yeah, he uh, he doesn't like Eleanor. They both came from the Scarlet Moon Empire once upon a time. Um, he has pushed Kuluk onto this course somehow, and for your final battle, he just throws a tree out at you, which is... It's a really strong tree... And as Spikoden Tactics will tell us, apparently that tree was responsible for rune cannons being operational. But maybe that's just Konami doing some retconning in, in the sequel. Who knows? And yeah, Graham Cray. He's he looks kind of weird, and he's he's evil. Do you need any more than that? I'll take it. I'll take that as a yes. But you don't get any more than that, <laughs> <but> too bad. <laughs> and it's sad because Sikoden villains usually are pretty good. Yeah, I mean, this is, this they range from pretty good to super awesome. Yeah, this is giving, they give us, you know, Barbarossa and Wendy and Luca Blight and Luke and all of that. They're good villains. Graham Cray is so he needed about thrice the time you get with him to kind of understand. I, I think he has some in, some motivation somewhere that could be interesting, but you never get to hear him really. Yeah, you said for almost all the characters in this game, they they need a lot more development and actual characterization to make the story work. All of them. And yes, the story so needed to be better paced rather than having a good 20 hours in the middle of you just sailing around and occasionally talking to people on the beaches while you make while you go on a trading mission <laughs> for money, which you need. <laughs> which which is another reason to be thankful Vicky is there cuz otherwise you would have to literally sail instead of teleporting. Ugh. <laughs> the sailing is so bad. I mean, I forgot how bad it was. I just started playing the game again recently for this podcast, and the very first sailing mission, hey, go east to the middle port. <laughs> I sail east. Apparently that's the wrong way since I was sailing forever. Until I you need to go southeast. <laughs> yeah. I remember that part. <laughs> we were so mad. <laughs> I played this game together with my husband, which is the only way we finished it because we switched off the terrible. We switched off on the terrible sailing segments. Uh, and yeah, it's no better because of the way the boat controls when you get near land. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like this invisible giant square around every land piece you need to avoid, but you're always bouncing off of. No, I don't want to circle around the whole island again and get into five more random fights. Let me talk. <laughs> There's a port right there. <laughs> I and... like to think that I like to think that they made all of the developers on Assassin's Creed 4 play this game so they knew what not to do. <laughs> well, I think a lot of developers could play Sweet Code in 4 and learn from it. <laughs> well, particularly, you know, if they're having sailing in a game. Yes. Yeah. It's not even that the encounter rate is the worst I've ever seen. It isn't, but 
the distances you have to sail get so stupidly long. That... Yeah, I mean, the distances you have to run they get pretty long for how little there is. I mean, like, that one cave on the uh, deserted, deserted islands at the beginning of the game. It's like it's got two whole rooms you need to run through, but there's actually nothing in them. There's no treasure, there's no side paths. It's just straight run from the entrance of the cave to the healing spring in the back. There's no difficulty, there's nothing of interest, but this is two long rooms you have to run through at a slow pace full of random encounters. Yep, and you're guaranteed to get into a couple each time through. And I, and I don't mean each time in the cave, I mean each time going back to the bottom of the cave, and each time going back to the front of the cave. You need to do this three times. Or like I did four times, because I was just exploring it it's unnecessarily the first time. Right, you have to be done with your chores of beach excavation before you go into the cave. And there's no hinting about this. And this was the game's demo. <laughs> I remember that. Why did we buy it anyway? I don't, I don't know. Because it was wicked and I thought it couldn't possibly be that bad. Yeah. What game was the demo attached to? Uh, it's probably a free demo disc. It's just had a bunch of random oh. game demos. They're just handing out for free to electronic stores, so... Yeah, I think I got it with EGM or something. Those were the days. We're not going to see those again. Yeah, it's like the East Mark of Nepotism. Arc of Nepotism. I haven't pronounced that word. Nepotism? Yeah, Nepotism. That's a much more interesting demo. <laughs> well, then again, maybe Xseed had something more interesting to work with than Suikoden 4. <laughs> but yeah, you'd think Konami's PR people would think, Surely we can come up with something more interesting to ensnare people into the world of Suikoden 4 than this. I don't no. think Konami gave a crap at that point. They were like, oh yeah, I guess we were supposed to develop this game. Uh, give it to the interns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, considering how quickly Switchin' 5 comes after 4 in terms of release dates, you can tell maybe that's where their real focus was this whole time. <laughs> yeah. with, with maybe a little side effort going into tactics, because that is a somewhat better game than 4. My guess is that was just a totally different team that was working on that on the side. Probably, but it does hook up enough with 4 that it feels interesting to play. Yeah, okay, we're getting a little ahead of this with tactics from what little I played was, you know, it just felt like, you know, all the interesting parts of 4 they wanted to put in but couldn't, so they just kind of threw all the chopped little bits into tactics or something. <laughs> That's still a more glowing recommendation than what we've come up with for 4. <laughs> so true. It's okay, four, uh... You know, if four was actually, you know, three and three was four, four would probably be received better since it's okay, it's not as good as two, but it's at least in the spirit of one. But it came after three, which is so in innovative and moved the series forward, this is like two steps back. Three steps back even. Yeah. Boy, can you tell damn it, I'm forgetting his name. Moshitaka Hariyama, I think is his name. The creator of Spikoden. Boy, can you tell he was gone. Yeah. Um so, uh the the yeah, the, the glorious battle system. Um, you're, you're down to four people, and you're usually going to be fighting on the deck of the ship, fighting the same the, three enemies over and over. <laughs> yeah, none of the more quasi-real-time system from three. and it You know, four people, so less room for combo attacks, less room to take advantage of all the 108 people you've got. Well, I instead you get to have someone in, what is it, an advisor slot, something like that, who just yeah. has... A variety of effects that usually don't do anything directly in combat. Yeah, which is you know a kind of more limited version of from three where you had two people for that. I think. Yeah, because or... that did come from, straight from three where it was useful. And yeah. Have a... Um. So you you do standard turn-based battles. There it's are just, combo attacks, which is good. And of course, like... 
And of course, the first one you're going to see is Laszlo and Snow's combo attack, which you will never be using after the first two hours of the game. Yeah, the friendship attack, which is Snow tells the hero to attack. The hero attacks. Snow comes in for the final blow. That's all it is. It's Snow using the name of friendship to make his friend do all his work. It says so much about this, too, really. It does. There are other Why combo was... attacks. I, I don't remember which they are right now, but... Oh, oh I think... Akagi and uh, Mizuki had one, but I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, the ninjas team, pair of ninjas, usually have one, I think. Yeah, and Akagi is a fairly interesting character, from what little you see of him in this game. He's in there a lot more in tactics. And Mizuki is... She's a pretty good ninja. She doesn't say much in this game at all, but she's a good ninja. Ninjas with the strike rune are always helpful. I've always been a fan of them. Mm -hmm. And... What else is there to say about the combat system? It's Suikoden in one again with fewer characters and uglier animation and longer load times, but cool yeah, mini games. You for awesome mind blowing mini games. Not in the battle system though. Again, I'm thinking of. Did you get Rita on your team, Nathan? I have the girl who makes you play the card game. Oh, no, she. You can get her really early. I remember that, and she makes you play some card game with her. Because it's sweet code, and you got to have somebody who makes you play yeah, a card game to retreat. I mean, I, in the first few hours, you find two different people with minigames, one of them who has two minigames. I, I usually steer clear of minigames unless I have no choice, so all I remember is Rita's, which I had to yeah. win in order to recruit her. And it was dumb. It was, yes. It had pretty much no redeeming assets, so I never played it again after I got her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you want to maybe get a trivial amount of money for a lot of efforts, play the mini game. If you want anything to them a decent amount of money, go fight a random battle. Or, or play the trading game. Yeah, play the trading game. Here, go buy uh, go buy furs in which are for some reason being sold in the middle of the ocean, where fur bearing animals naturally live in large numbers. <laughs> uh, I know, balls seem to find their way everywhere. So. They do, but. I've never seen anybody wearing furball fashion before. That's, that's something Suikoden has completely mi- dropped the ball on. What does furball fashion look like? I think it looks like that picture of lightning with moogles attached everywhere that we saw on Twitter earlier today. Uh, let's, let's never speak of that again. Okay. Well, we've said all that there is to really be said about the core battle system, which is that it's very basic and boring. How about the how about the army combat or I mean, the navy combat? This is more interesting, kind of. It's the thing about this is it doesn't really feel like army combat. I mean, it's an interesting tactical game of positioning your ships and making sure to face your broadside against them and firing your rune cannons to fight different elements. I mean, it's tactically interesting and fun, but like, it takes forever to get more than two pieces to really work with. And it's just ultimately you put your best rune people on the rune cannons and have them fire, and that's it. And never get into a boarding action because every single time I try, I sink. It's cursed, no, I swear. It, no, here, here's what you have to do with the boarding, Nathan. You can't do it early where they will slaughter you. But if you have a, te- a team of people who are high-leveled, then they will beat the crap out of the enemy, and you win. And you have to have yeah. high-level people because it's all AI-controlled. Yay. I love it when the AI just fights for me. It always makes such great choices. It's just <laughs> it's just letting you relax so you can enjoy yourself. Okay, sometimes the AI fighting for you has weird results. Like, sure, use the no hit chance instant death rune on the most powerful guy in the game. Wait, it worked? <laughs> That's the, like, the most bizarre thing that ever happened in Switch 3, but I don't think 4 has been quite that fun. 
No, pretty much all you get to see is your people, regardless of whether they're any good at physical combat, trying to down their enemies with physical combat. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? What is this outlandish notion called healing myself? I don't know what that is. I'm going to ignore the fact that I have five HP left, and I'm going to swing again and get killed. Uh. So again, if you have high-leveled people, and again, make sure you've uh, been tempering their weapons, then you will win because you always fight the same guys on this on the ship. They are four navy guys who look identical to all the Kulu grunts you've been killing. <laughs> is that even based on the level of the ship and military battle for you fighting? Not that I could tell. I, it looked like I was fighting the same guys near the beginning and the same guys at the end, which was actually wow. good because near the end you fight some pretty nasty rune cannons, so boarding is this quick way to win. <laughs> I have no words. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you always want to have Gene and Vicky on your team because what do you know? They're really good at runes. Yep. And that leaves duels, which are you know basically circuit and one two duels, which is kind of depressing since we're missing the kind of cool little advantage mechanic from three, which actually made duels interesting. Yes. So now we're back to really boring duels. Okay, they've got a, a full power thing where once per battle you can use the full power behind your attack. If that succeeds, you're going to do more damage than normal. But that's about it. <laughs> They've got Pretty nice much. animations, which are you know, they're better than the overly flashy ones. Five, but they're not. You know, you, I don't like watching duels just for the animation. They're kind of boring. And well, the, there is one somewhat new addition, which is that because of the voice acting, the your opponent will give you kind of a clue as to what's going to happen next. Yeah, but they've always had that, just now it's voice. Yeah, but th that is a change. I'm looking True. for anything here. <laughs> and okay, I think yeah. you know, a new thing for four is that if both people attack, they'll actually nullify each other's attacks. I don't think that, that was in previous games, but it's a pretty minor addition. I don't think it was there either. Yeah, okay. Um, well, as long as we're on this topic, Spicoden 4 has voice acting for the first time in the series. Yep. It's mostly okay. It's mind-blowing yeah. game of the year. It's, other, other, than, other than the cat people, it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is a game with, you know, you will recognize these voice actors because you've probably heard them a hundred times and they're doing a passable job. And that's about all you can say about it. Yeah, uh, you can kind of tell Konami USA did not put a great deal of effort into the script or the direction here. <laughs> I mean, they're not doing a horribly bad job like I've seen a few too many times. I mean, they're giving passable performances. It's not nonsensically bad, but, you know, it's not great either. You got two different no, choices. They didn't have much to work with. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. Not that many lines, ultimately. No, not even all of the not even all of the mandatory plot points are voiced. That's just weird. Yeah. Although, again, it's probably just Konami cutting budget. Yeah. But again, it also they gave the choice of two different voice actors for the main character, which is kind of a nice thing for this game. We have voiceless main character, I guess. Yeah, he can either sound like a man or like a, a teenager whose voice hasn't changed yet. <laughs> now that's not exactly appropriate for the main character, though. It kind of is, although I still prefer something more ominous to go with his constipated Chucky doll look. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we don't want him to have any lines, because he'd just be like, hey guys, I kind of got to take a crap. <laughs> yeah, and, um, well, the, the last time I did it on the deck of the ship, you, you kind of gave me a bad time, so you're all going to have to look the other way now. <laughs> Poor um, Laszlo. <laughs> this is yet another indignity. The wielder of the rune of punishment must suffer. <laughs> Oh, 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 I, I do need to add this. You, you've seen the ending, right, Becky? 
You know, it was so unmemorable that I don't even remember what was in it. Uh, pretty much, if you got all 108 stars, which of course means that Snow has finally taken your offer to join the ship, and then you will promptly ignore him because he's a pathetically low level and you don't want to deal with Snow anymore. Why is he the hardest record character? We don't want him. <laughs> no. Because Konami was thinking on how much pain it could put people through. I don't know. Because he has cool hair. (laughs) (laughs) So you win. Eleanor and Graham Cray just vanish in the ruins of Eliel. Elial. And what do you know? We've driven... We've stopped the Kuluk invasion. Everybody's happy. We get the standard. Here's what every character went on to do. Wrap up that Spicodin does. And then Laszlo just wakes up in a boat somewhere and he sees another boat coming upon him, which means that the Rune of Punishment did not, in fact, kill him. It somehow put him far out to sea where he could be rescued by someone else. And as you will learn in Suikoden Tactics, if you have a 108 stars file from Suikoden 4, he can now use it as much as he wants for the no, for no better reason than Konami's writers just completely forgot to address that. Well, it's because you got the 108 stars of destiny, and therefore, stuff. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like the series has been made much since before. It's like you got 108 stars. Magically, someone was revived from the dead. How does that work? You know, it's still, still in the room. Um, uh, it, well, you just get all these people together, and Lechnut somehow fuses all their personalities um, hey, look, there's a cat playing with string over there. Let's go watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, he stayed dead in my game because we got 107 <laughs> stars of destiny. <laughs> yeah. We didn't oh, like wait. him anyway. <laughs> Kyle thinks he's creepy. <laughs> Grammy O in Sukaden 1. I don't think he's creepy. <laughs> I thought he was useless. <laughs> I, I didn't unless... like Grammy O either. Now my husband's arguing with me. <laughs> Okay, so yes, I've just spoiled the incredibly involving ending of Sweet Coden 4. I'm sorry, everybody. I know you wanted to experience that for yourselves. <laughs> I'm on a boat. <laughs> yeah, I, I got teleported. The stars can do that now. Oh, oh, yes. Ted is in this game. Just, you know, this is actually kind of an interesting cameo since he just needed more development in Sweet 1. I, I doubt he It's not here. difficult to give him more cool. development than he got in Sweet Coden 1. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that that was actually a fairly interesting sojourn, although its whole presence, there there are apparently beings that will hold on to holders of the true runes, or at least this thing is trying to do that, and let me guess, it's never addressed again in the remaining series. What remaining series? Sikkim 5? Right. <laughs> I don't remember it in Sikkim 5, but I don't remember a lot of that game either. <laughs> I do. I'm looking forward to when we can talk about that, so that's not tonight. No, well, we, we can't take on too much for one show. Swinging in five is huge. <laughs> yeah, swinging in four is mind blowing. Sure, it kind of was, but not in a good way. Yeah, let, let, let's just go with that. It's mind blowing. <laughs> sure, why not? Um, okay. Um, I, I just have to address this because it, it's not that the game is ugly, but it's really boring to stare at. Yeah, it's like everything is gray. The buildings just—they're big gray buildings. No color, no, not much interesting detail. It's because gray and brown are the new color. Mind blowing gray. Okay, the also has green. Outside, if you're outside, there's grass and trees, so there's green and gray and brown. 
oh, 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 Nathan, you're forgetting the other color you're going to see. Blue. Yeah. Boy, are you ever going to see blue. <laughs> but what blue. colors are there are, are, are pretty washed out, I think, is the problem. <laughs> yeah. Also, this game ticked me off by asking me every time I turned it on, do you have an upscaling TV so that we can push this into the nice high-definition viewing mode? It doesn't remember. You have to answer that every time. Yeah, that, that is really annoying. <laughs> and it's still there for tactics. <laughs> and tactics isn't even as, got as fancy graphics as this one. We'll get to tactics. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the enemy variety is just lacking. On the desert islands, there are three kinds of enemies. One is a kind of bat thing you've previously been finding in the ocean, and then there's a crab. And then another type of crab. There's slight recolors off of each other. And that's it. Man, I hope you like killing crabs, because you're going to see a lot of them. And they're all giant crabs. <laughs> um, and Somebody you... let Kaz help with this game. That's the problem. <laughs> Let's see. What else can we knock? I think we've knocked most oh. of the knockable points. Oh, the the interrogation game. That's fun. That one's fun. Yeah, it's a little nonsensical, but it's kind of fun. Oh, and I do like the design of this main ship. It's, you've got your headquarters. It's a giant ship, and it's actually kind of a little big, but it's also kind of fun to explore and interest. You know, it comes with you all the time, so you don't need to constantly warp back to it. It warps with you, even, in fact. So, yeah, that's actually one of my favorite that's, headquarters in the whole series. That's the talent of Vicky, man. Yeah. Um, Why can't you just warp your cast on other games? That makes me feel more interesting. The world may never know. Mind-blowing. Uh, okay, the interrogation game is um, this character who is after... I don't even remember who he's after for money, but you agree to pay somebody's debt, and he comes on your board your ship, and he runs this little interrogation booth where you get to listen as all of various crew members pop in. They're in silhouette, but if you listen to what they're saying you'll have an idea of who it is, and you get to choose whether to forgive them for the things they are confessing, or not forgive them by dropping something on their heads from above. I remember putting Kate in there. Kate is apparently the friend of Mizuki, that's how I recruited her, and not choosing to forgive her, and her response was, well, I must not be a very good ninja if I couldn't see that coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, their reactions are priceless. I remember we were sitting in the living room going, forgive! No, don't forgive! (laughs) And I remember not forgiving Akagi after he confessed, and his response was indignation. But I just unburdened myself to you, man. What, the, what did I do to deserve this? <laughs> uh, Think your mind is blown yet? <laughs> I, I, I liked some of the music in the game. It's Spicoden music. It's hard not to like. Yeah, I mean, it's not the most memorable stuff ever, but it's not bad. It's kind of familiar, oh, the, the, but not bad. The, the opening theme is pretty cute. I like that. Yeah, the opening theme's not bad, though. I think in terms of... It, this comes after Section 3, which is like the best opening theme in the entire series by far. So it kind of didn't live up to that very well. But. No. No, it didn't. But at the very least, we can say that the music is worth hearing. Yeah. It's not going to, you know, drive you bonkers or something. But it will blow um, your mind. Phil, all the times your mind has been blown tonight, we, we're going to have to watch out. We might want to bring a psychiatrist in to help you. There's, there's, there's something else that's going to get blown away when you're done, though. I have to wait till you're done. Are you done yet? Are we? Well, before, I guess. There's not much more to say about the game. There's, so so you, we've proven that four can blow your mind, okay? While you guys try to make it sound boring, I know you're completely restraining yourself from this Game of the Year material that's mind-blowing. But there's something else that Sawika Dim 4 has the ability to blow away. Your wallet. 
You can get a brand new copy, original USA black label in the shrink wrap for the small price of $100. <laughs> Blowing it away. Okay, no one paid us for this game. Blowing it no, away. Just don't. So, everybody, rush over to half.com and get your black label collector's edition game of the year version of Suikoden 4. Mind blowing and wallet blowing. Or you could get the, you know, just a boring old used copy for, which is still awesome and mind blowing, by the way. For about, I see there is one copy for ten dollars plus shipping, uh, another copy for sixteen plus shipping, and it kind of goes up from there. Yeah, there's mm. one up. There's one up on eBay right now with twenty two hours left. It's up to fourteen ninety nine. I'm low in. Oh, someone wants fifty five dollars for a brand new one, but that's not black. Get the black little one for a hundred. You'll be glad you did because it's label. It's black. It's really a must have. <laughs> This sold enough to make to make Konami give it a greatest hits print. You know, I'm, I'm not seeing any in the screenshots here, but that's you know hardly conclusive proof that they didn't do it. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, we're going to take a tiny little break because our minds are completely blown at this point. And after we picked up all the pieces <laughs> of our blown brains and scraped them off the walls and stuck them back into our craniums, we'll return. Hold on tight. No worse than wear. have returned we have successfully gathered all of the parts of our brains that were scattered all over the four corners of the earth and we are ready to talk about suikoden tactics developed and published by konami this was released on your playstation 2 in japan on september 22nd 2005 north america a couple of months later november 8th and in the european countries the following year on february 24th 2006 this is a single player tactical console blowing RPG coming to you on one steaming hot DVD ROM. You're actually using that as a selling point, Phil, that it will, might blow up your console. Oh man, it's just so <laughs> awesome. Your console, man, you better have a backup. That's all I'm saying. You better have a backup. Because I love myself some tactical RPGs. Let me tell you. And I mean, so we could in tactics, I mean, screw Front Mission 3, Final Fantasy Tactics, any of those other tactical games you love and hold dear, because so we could in tactics, man, boom, just blows them out of the water. I wouldn't go that far. Boom. Okay, perhaps, perhaps, Mike, you're, remember getting correctly. Maybe you're thinking of another game. Perhaps if I read to you some of the lines from IGN's review, it would oh, help to oh, jog oh, your mind. Please do. Nathan, I'm, I'm sure we'll find this interesting, what IGN has to say. Oh, I certainly will. Yeah, you because know, they, they, just, they, they loved it, too. 
more than Sweet Code in 4? L- listen, they the first line says, if you've never played a strategy RPG before, then Soikoden Tactics is the one you're going to want to take the plunge with. Yeah. Okay. That's oh. that's not what I would say. You know, yeah. it's designed specifically with new users in mind. But not really. <laughs> Come on. IGN, Fount of Wisdom. Jeez, <laughs> oh, you know, you guys are breaking my Socrates, heart. Plato, Aristotle, those guys had nothing on the philosophy of IGN. <laughs> I mean, it, it's got, let's see here. Uh... Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, granted, the strategy RPG genre has never been known for its depth of story to begin with. But after playing through Final Fantasy Tactics and Disgaea, I found that there's more than enough room for such a thing. To its credit, Suikoden Tactics boasts a couple of wicked but scripted death scenes and some elaborate on plot threads first hinted at in Suikoden Four. So what you've got here is mind blowing awesomeness built on top of previous mind blowing awesomeness. Well, I can say it's definitely built on top of previous mind-blowing awesomeness. Because this game heavily borrows from the Fantasy Tactics and Fire Emblem playbooks, which I never saw any game actually merge those two playbooks like this one has before, which is kind of interesting, actually. But and and, and, it's, and of course, we all know the most important part is the battle system, right? And that's where it says where Suikoden Tactics stands out more anyway is with the battle system. Bam. Done. Done. What else do you need to know? Well, I, I will say that it does feel like a sweet coding game made into a tactical title. That it does yeah. feel that. Do you have to like level up 108 individual characters in a slow ass tactical RPG? Well, no, there is one really, really good feature of tactics that I wish other tactical games would have, which is uh, I forget when you get it. Did you get to the point, Nathan, where you can switch uh, characters I, in battle? No, I didn't see that. That's okay. Cool. It's something like halfway through where you just suddenly have this new option, Switch, where any character not in the battle right now, you can just put in right there where your current character is ready to take an action. Uh, wow. That sounds mind-blowing. And that is quite nice. The only, the only caveat is that a character who has been in the battle before can't come back in that same battle, but it's a sweet coding yes. game. Even if you don't have 108 people, you'll have enough people. Yeah. Although How you many don't people are you... playable in this game? Oh, I forget. No, it's... 30, 40... I, I wish I'd counted, but it's something like 40, 50, somewhere between there. That's pretty good. Although the last four I did not get because apparently that that involves some horrible side quest that's really long and bothersome, so I just ignored it. And anyway, they're just a whole bunch of mercenaries who have been annoying you if you do a certain quest string in. But that that switch feature is really handy. Say you, you've just positioned one of your characters right behind an enemy for what you hope is going to be a killing blow. Swap in the character who needs a few levels. Let her do it. Suddenly, she's got them, and you didn't have to watch her get pot shots thrown at her all the way through the battle. That does sound nice. Or like you know, if someone's in trouble, so replace them with a super tank. Or... Mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, so that's the single best feature I can come up with, which I really wish other tactical games would emulate because it's a good idea. Yeah. The powerful, uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, you can't put somebody who's already been in the fight back. That's the only limitation. So make sure you're done with them first. Blowing. Yep. Um. Okay. And the rune system. I don't remember seeing this particular feature in any other tactical game. Although you might have seen it, Nathan. The the co- the switching of the landscape to the various rune elements. Yeah, it reminds me of something from Chrono Cross, actually. But not a t- it's 
but it plays a bit more like a Disgaea game with all of its panels and such. It's like, you know, a weird cousin to the Disgaea series, studio panels or something. You create these colorful panels, and they're extremely important for the gameplay. Like, I did not expect oh, yeah. them to be that important. But th- they can make the difference massively. Uh, yeah, so basically, every time you cast a spell, you create these panels which are one, according to one of the five elements. And if a person stands on their own elements, they become much stronger, and they generate HP at the end of every turn. 20%. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of HP and a lot big stat increase. But if they're on the elements they're weak to, they take a big stat hit, hit, and they lose HP every end of every turn. And every time you cast a spell, it alters the, t- the panels under every square that the spell affected. And there's and lots you- of cheap items you can use to spread these. Everything. Yep. And people can equip, uh, I think it's eight items total. So you can have tons of fun changing the landscape because the enemies will do it. Yeah, and also you need to, like, that's the just interesting stuff. Like, create a kind of super tanking formation of hiding a ranged attacker behind two melee people in a corner and having all three of them stand on their own elements. So they're constantly regenerating and no one can attack the ranged attacker and, you can, and you're hitting that high stats and such. It opens up interesting possibilities. And I kind of like this system. Uh, so I will say it's a nice plus overall for the game. I'm rather impressed with it. Yeah, and as you go on, you'll find that it's not that there are a whole bunch of unique battle objectives, but it does a good job of keeping the battles from seeming too formulaic or boring, because the enemies like to throw reinforcements your way. And... Yeah, those reinforcements sometimes feel a little unfair, because they're, they're basically designed to mess you up right when you think you're winning, in a way that feels just not fair. But uh, I can see that, yeah. Thing. I prefer reinforcements in the way they're handled in some other games, where they're, they're just kind of coming and you can stop them, or you can pred- at least predict them and have to defend yourself against them. This time it's just, you know, no warning, suddenly there's a bunch of enemies in front of you. I don't like it as much. It could be done better. I, I definitely agree there. But it does a good yeah. job of keeping you on your toes a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I feel kind of weird arguing this point, considering I felt the opposite about the reinforcements in Valkyrie Chronicles when we were talking about that a little while ago. <laughs> but... I guess that's the exact implementation can affect things. Yeah, I will say that usually the reinforcements in Sweet Code and Tactics don't immediately act, So, and there is a visible turn meter, so you have a chance yeah. to see where they're, where they're coming from and what they might be able to do before they do it. Yeah. It doesn't help when you have limited forces in there they just attack to you with. But, but. No. And yes, the major fire emblem aspect comes in the permadeath. If you use anybody who is not deemed by the game to be critical to the plot, and there are certain characters like that, for instance, Flair, she can get killed as much as you like, and she'll keep coming back. But I found out the hard way. Rita, who was actually pretty good in this game... She's um, an amazing tank, actually. And she's got a great smash attack, which stuns enemies. That's good abilities. There's a two-part battle in a, in a factory on the Kuluk mainland, or I don't know if factory is quite the right term, but I'll go with it. And in the second part, you meet Rajit again, who is just this annoying magician you've already fought once before, and you'll fight him again before the end of the game, although he can join you. And he gets on his own wind terrain. I don't have anybody around to interrupt his spellcasting, because he's winding up for a big one. And despite the fact that Rita was on lightning terrain, he was on wind terrain, his innate element, and he killed her with one shot. And I just get the message, Rita has died. Her mind has and been I blown. Sung- uh, I think it was more like her limbs were blown up into a tornado and then rained back to Earth, but whatever. <laughs> and because I had already sunk over an hour into this battle and there's no way to save in the middle of a battle except with the Fire Emblem, the old Fire Emblem style of here's a save that will be deleted the instant you use it again, I just decided, you know what, I'll, I'll let her stay dead. 
because I was in a hurry at the time. Yeah, I, I've only played a little bit of the game relatively, and I've already left one person die just because, you know, he sucked, he wasn't equipped, he just died in the whole fight. And I just couldn't be bothered to save it, to play the fight again to save it. I do that enough more. I do that enough with Fire Emblem. I just don't want to do it with this game. <laughs> well, I remember the three people who died. I remember Rita because that was in a plot fight. I remember Amiria who got killed when I was exploring the Obel ruins, which you need to do with um, uh, what's her name, the girl with the dowsing kit from Four. I can't remember at all. Yeah. Well, she anyway. She can't fight, but she can douse for things in Suicoden Tactics. And you need her to find certain things for a couple of missions in the Obel Ruins. And Emiria would just happen to be bopping along. I'm looking for somebody to reach the edge of the ruins, which means that I can get out of there. And what do you know? When you get close to things on the third floor, um, these elemental spirits suddenly pop up. And, yeah, I had some time to react, but since Emiria was so far ahead of everybody, that didn't help much. One of them got behind her and killed her. And I just said... Sorry, Amiria. The Obel Ruins suck because you can't save until you get out of them, and if you get out of them, then you have to start going back down again. <laughs> and the third one who died was Axel, who got put to sleep by a stupid uh, rat bat, or whatever we call them in here. And because wind terrain is the opposite of his element, he was taking damage, and then the rat bat came along and killed him from behind while he was still asleep. Pretty sad, Axel. Pretty sad. Yeah. And after that, I more or less made a point to try and use plot characters most of the time for dangerous stuff, because they will just withdraw. I'm kind of surprised that Flutter counts as a plot character, because when she joins, it's just like, by the way, in the, when you're on the, already on the world map screen, like, by the way, I'm joining, and she joins. <laughs> That's it. I don't pretend to understand it, but I'll run with it, because she's a good archer. Yeah, she is. She carried me through a couple fights already. Uh, okay, here, let's, let's cover the plot. It begins seven years before Svicoden 4, and you get to see Laszlo and Snow as kids cleaning out fur balls from the back alleys of Rosril, and along comes Kirill, who is a kid, um, Seneca, who is an Seneca. archer. Yeah. Uh, awesome. what, is the, what is the magician's name? Oh, Alter? I don't know. I can't remember. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. See, he's such a memorable character. He's actually kind of interesting, but at the same time, I can't remember his name, so that's probably not a good sign. I, I want to say Walter it started with A. Yeah. It, it did start with A. I can remember that. I think Walter's actually Carol's father's name. Yeah, and he... In the third or fourth battle, Walter, who is looking for rune cannons... Oh, God. Remember? Every time they say it, it's rune <laughs> cannons. Remember that, people. It's rune cannons. The enunciation is very interesting. You put a lot of emphasis on the runes. <laughs> so Walter is searching for plot device, and he finds plot device in a fight where Kika is on your side. Oh, and Kika is a plot character, so she can't oh, die either. Actually, isn't Kika... She's, I think she's left behind, actually. So You've actually got her boyfriend and Brando on your side in this fight. I was thinking of later, because she does join you. Yeah, she and, does And join. she's good to have, because she's fast, and she's got her super awesome falcon rune, which can do a triple damage attack. Yeah, that's always handy. Um, yeah, you've got Brando, and you've got her boyfriend. Spoiler, Kika was not happy in Spicoden 4, because her boyfriend did not live to make it to that game. Uh, and Walter finds a rune, rune cannon. And what do you know? The rune cannon turns him into a fish man. Yeah, because apparently that's the thing. Rune cannons, I don't think they ever mentioned this before, they turn people into fish people if they're not handled properly. <laughs> yeah, who knew? 
that's not the most efficient means of conquering the world, but it would definitely induce chaos. And as a fishman, Walter is unfortunately slain by his now distraught son, Kirill. Actually, I think it's his which... son's friend. It's the, the mage guy, actually, who kills him. And Walter's trying to protect Kirill. Andark! That's his name. Andark, yes, that's it. So, well, Walter dies. Kirill is distraught, Walter and dies. he will not be able he will not be able to kill any fish people until near the end of the game, because he he just can't bring himself to do it. That's actually kind of a neat little gameplay thing. Where, like, he leaves fish people at one hit point left. But it is, but it can be very annoying if I you needed that fish person to die. Yep. Um. So we we go we speed ahead now. Suikoden Four yes. has just ended. Kirill, Seneca, and Andark are looking around for rune cannons. Yeah, and by the way, Kirill was extremely powerful as a kid, but now that he's actually grown up, he's actually much weaker. It's a weird change. Of... He regains yes. his powers near the end, once he overcomes his inability to kill fish people. Ah, that's good. And, well, they get tasked to find some stuff in a cave where you would have gone in Spikoden 4 to recruit a couple of people, and... I had I'm annoyed about trouble with that fight. I don't know why. Maybe I'm trying power. to remember the name of the guy who gave them the job, because... Improbably, Iskis, that's his name. Yeah, Iskis. You'll be seeing a lot of him. Yeah, he's an incredibly suspicious character when he first appears, and I presume he remains so. He is so suspicious that he is apparently trying to take over the Kuluk Empire. <laughs> that's pretty suspicious. And has a fair shot at doing it until you kind of get in there and muck up his plans. So yeah, he's he's not a very nice guy. Have you met Corselia yet? Yeah, I've just encountered her. I don't think she gave me her name yet. Okay, well, she is the granddaughter of the Kuluk Emperor. Which is incredibly obvious that she's some kind of princess or something. I can't remember if you fought Martin by that point, the guy who's writing something. Uh, no. The guy, he's got a huge beard, so you'll remember him. Mm-hmm. Looks like a mountain man. Anyway, he is her dad. And naturally, after you beat the crap out of him a couple of times, he decides to investigate your allegations that maybe Iskis is a bad guy. And what do you know? Iskis turns him into a fish man. That's that what happens nice. to hang around rune cannons too much. Mind-blowing. It rune is. Cannon too much. <laughs> Those rune oh, cannons will blow your it, mind. Phil has apparently been around rune, rune cannons a lot. They're mind-blowing. <laughs> and Corselia's mother has taken up with Iskis for reasons that you don't really care about until the conclusion when it is revealed that she was just waiting for the right chance to strike, and it didn't do anything, so you still have to beat the crap out of Iskis by yourself. <laughs> Which means that Corselia is actually a very sad little girl because she got to watch both of her parents die in front of her. But Spicoden Tactics doesn't do as good a job of delivering that plot as it could and should. Yeah, it's, it's a whole is kind of iffy. I mean, like from the very beginning, you know, you must pursue the rune cannon. But even the main hero doesn't know why. He's just doing it because his dad did, but he doesn't know why his dad did. And the two people who is basically like a big older brother and sister to him who are his dad's students, they aren't saying. They're just, you know, they're just not going to share any information with him. It's kind they of don't really around. know either. Yeah. You don't learn this until you meet somebody who knew his dad, and it turns out his dad was an agent of the Scarlet Moon Empire. And the Scarlet Moon Empire, well, this guy, whose name I forget because he doesn't actually join you since he's too much of a jerk to get off his mission and help you. He was trying to capture the rune cannons for the benefit of the Scarlet Moon Empire. But don't don't get too excited. You won't hear about too much about that particular plot beat. Because yes. he will leave before the end of the game. Oh no, I'm sorry. He will be turned into a fish man. 
<laughs> There's a lot of that. I mean, early on. Okay, I will say the rune cat rune cannon are actually pretty darn creepy in this game, considering. Okay, once blinking when you first see it in early the prequel part chapter game and then you see it something that looks a lot like it later so it's a giant Lovecraftian monster that's vaguely in the shape of a cannon and that's what you're after it's like they're just kind of treated yeah. normal technology in form but this time they're Lovecraftian horrors it's a pretty big tone shift and apparently Iskus took Blinky for himself and took all of its eyes out and is using them to power his uh, rune cannon manufactory and that you get to fight Blinky without its eyes, which is an interesting concept. <laughs> and, yeah, don't expect any real explanations as to, okay, Iskus, exactly how did you capture Blinky, and how did you take all of its eyes out without killing it? Oh, don't expect yeah, that to be man. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that, like, messy with the thing turns people into fishmen. This is established very clearly very early on. So how do you handle it without being turned into a fishman? Why are people being turned into fishman? I guess that's probably explained. That's a great question. I wish I had the answer, but the game doesn't supply it, really. Oh, man. Maybe I missed something really quickly addressed. Well, actually, there is something that might maybe address it. Uh, okay, Yon. Yon, the, the goat thing that's following Kirill yeah. Seneca and Andro. Okay, she's another one of those things. Like, she's an important character. She doesn't say anything. I can't presume she's mute and I'd explain it, but they kind of treat her at times like she's a really important plot character, and I think she shows up in major art. But she just kind of is there at times. Most of the time, she isn't even there. She's just a complete non-character. You will see. She will speak at the very end of the game when Carol goes into the other dimension, apparently, which is where rune can rune cannon powers come from, courtesy of Blinky, and he will kill a, a thing that's in there, which. Uh, Whatever, that that's not important. The fact is that Yon came from that dimension and is his mother. And she can only speak within that dimension. She cannot speak outside of it. And then she chooses to be with his with Walter in that side of that dimension and Carol chooses to go back and be with all the people who need him and uh this concept is promptly shoveled under the rug because why would we want explanations or further background on the idea of Yon coming from another dimension? No, that, yeah. that that doesn't yeah. deserve explication. Yeah, I mean, I understand that the whole tree that provides all the rune cannon ammunition that you kind of is the final boss of four was supposedly summoned by a great sorcerer into that world from another dimension. So I guess everything is extra dimensional, which it works since this is the Swickland series and they've always had the whole infinite worlds thing, but... It needed e- either better writing. Take your pick. Yeah, I think it needs better writing simple as... <laughs> Well, I think more is also a good one because even though there isn't a whole lot of plot in this game, it, it somehow feels like events take their time without necessarily telling you a whole lot. Yeah. Um. Geez, what am I leaving out? Oh, well, the first stretch of this game consists of you revisiting locations from Street Code and Four. Although fortunately, you just sail automatically instead of having to do it yourself. Yeah, just t- days pass. That's it. And that only matters as far as the quest guild goes, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, your trail, the trail of the ruined cannons, leads you onto the mainland of the Kuluk Empire, where you get to see some places you haven't been. And you will meet a whole lot of characters you will recognize from Street Coden Four. In fact, the majority of this game's them. cast comes from Street Coden Four. <laughs> yeah, Street Coden Four doesn't have the most 
details and elaborated cast, so they can be a bit forgettable. So if you don't remember them, I won't blame you. I remembered them because I had played it not long before, but I, especially given how little Sweet Code and Tactics tells you about these people when they join you for the most part, I can understand it. Yeah, it's like, Sweet Code and Force definitely kind of required reading, for, you could say, for this game. If you haven't played that game, a lot of this game won't make any sense to you. Oh boy. Oh, this one also fills out a lot of random bits that are kind of interesting at four, that four didn't have. Yeah, just being able to look into the Kuluk Empire a little bit, because at the end, Corsilia just kind of decides, I'm not going to reconstruct it. I'm going to let the Kuluk Empire come apart. But even though it's only from the perspective of a tactical RPG menu, instead of looking around the towns, the places you see in the Kuluk and what little you learn of it is interesting enough that you, you kind of have to play this if you're a Suikoden fan. So I can blow your mind. <laughs> Phil, you and your mind-blowing... <laughs> Take it, be, take it easy, man. What? Come on, it's it's sweet to tactics, man. It's mind blowing. Phil, it's like we're in the in, at the end of the '60s again, and you've just taken a whole bunch of LSD, and you're talking about how much it blows your mind. <laughs> okay, so go next. So you get to explore the Kuluk Empire a little bit. Don't expect most of your characters, even the ones apparently critical to the plot, to say a whole lot. It boils down to. Carol, Seneca, Andark, and Cresselia. Most of the others, they chime in occasionally, but don't expect them to say a whole lot. Not even Kika or Mizuki or Akagi, which is a bit of a shame. Mizuki and Akagi just kind of show up when Lino and Kuldas assigns them to you to help, and Mizuki being what she is, she just kind of accepts orders without question. Although, you can have characters talk to each other in battle, and you'll learn a few interesting things that way. And that brings up the whole goodwill idea, which is also kind of interesting to, to tactics, where the better relations you have with people near to you, and they don't have to necessarily be touching you, but close by, well, they might just join in to help you attack an enemy or to or to cut you the damage you're about to take from an attack in half. Mm-hmm. So they can jump in and defend you or do an attack, assist attack, which are both really useful things to have. Definitely. And you can also do combo attacks with some characters, although... The game is really picky with the positioning on some of those. Yeah, see, this is where the positioning really matters to this game. It's like, it's, these combo attacks are just ludicrously powerful, for, but they're really kind of a pain to set up. So it's an interesting trade-off. Like, do you position for these combo attacks and hope the enemies are standing there, or so you can kill them all in one hit, or do you focus, ignore it and focus on more sensible positioning? I sure thought I yeah, like that. Yeah, the enemies aren't too bright, so you, you can probably get some of them if you're willing to wait, but then again, they will probably get up right in your face and start hitting you before it's time to do that. Because there's there's a relationship between how much you just did with your turn and how long it takes before it comes up again, but not nearly as much of one as in some other tactical games. Yeah, I mean, it helps, but, you know, just staying on your own elemental square seems to help just as much. Sad but true. I, I do want to mention the final battle, which is, of course, a three-phase fight, but the first phase is pretty interesting, where Iskus's machine back there is constantly changing half of the terrain in the whole battlefield to one of the five elements. Which, well, that means that you need to be careful about where you're stepping even more so than usual. And then, of course, after you beat Iskus up, he turns into... he chooses the option of last resort and turns himself into a fish man. And I freely admit that I got lucky there because he was quite prepared to the crap out of me thanks to the narrow terrain but I switched 
to the opposite terrain and got lucky with a critical and Banffy died. So I I do not claim that I had any great tactical skill with the final battle, but it worked anyway. <laughs> oh, and the mounts. The mounts are also unique. At least I haven't seen them before. Yeah, the mounts is something I kind of like. You get a mount, so you can assign a person who can ride that to be in the battle, and now they have very different stats and ride around a kangacorn. Kangaroo with a horn on it. Probably Eventually you get owls, too. Oh, those are cool. Owls, if you take a hit with an, with an owl, it's going to hurt, but they're really hard to hit. Yeah, and they even have special runes like the kangacorn rune, which is actually really powerful, but it imbalances the kind of pain, but it's still really powerful for a level one rune spell. It Ooh, is. Charging through enemies. You can't use combo attacks if you're on a mount, though. That's... Well, it's a yin and yang thing. Yeah, still can be quite useful since they, they hit. They really boost your attack power and mobility, which is really nice. And your move range, which can come in real handy. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Oh, and this does bring back in a, in a way the the skill system of Spikoden three. Yeah, it's, it's not quite as advanced as three, but it's still very similar. You know, a big plus in this game's favor. I love that skill system. It it's really works. And I'm glad to see it back. I'm kind of disappointed and, five didn't have it back. I'm really disappointed four didn't have it at all. Uh, nice so much we can be so much to be disappointed about four. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah, tactics even is very nice. In it, it gives you a big pool of skill points that you can use as you see fit. Yeah, this giant pool of points you get uh, that you can use for every character. Uh, and if you want to raise your levels and skills, I'll tell you how you do it, Nathan. You get more characters. Yeah, I don't that's... really understand how that works, but... It, yeah, but the more characters you have, the higher the caps you can build. Yeah. Which is, hey, it's, it's a second game. Of course it's going to reward you for getting <laughs> lots of characters. I, I'm not going to complain about that. Kind of a roundabout way of doing it, but I can't complain about it. I'm not going to complain. It was cool. Yeah, having things like parry or counterattack on your characters, that's good. You want that. Yeah. And particularly for your characters who are not key to the plot, having the... I forget what it's called, but there's a chance that they will come back after hitting zero HP instead of dying. That's also a good thing. Yeah. As the stuff like heavy armor or other such defensive skills. Mm-hmm. And while it takes a while to gather money in this game, from what I've found, if you want to try and have a very well-broad team, um, the fact that you've got, I think, a whole eight accessory slots, which includes, you know, what healing items... Elemental changing terrain things. All those medals you get for clear up. All the yeah. medals you get for rank in battle. All they all they pretty much do is up your defense a little bit and give you a little extra HP, but every little bit helps. Yep. And I I will say that one thing that annoyed me about the menu is the need to constantly cancel out of each person and go back and buy it again. You, you can't use the shoulder buttons to scroll between people. Yeah, there's a lot of little interface issues which really bugged me about this game. Is the controls just weren't very smooth. But even just moving the cursor on the battlefield can be a little iffy. Like which way does up move, which way does left and right move? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also found the the gauge that shows you the ne- the turn order for people. Because there are so many people in a battle, it, it will usually not show you everybody. So you just kind of... if you're if 10 enemies are about to act in a row and you want to know who's next on your team to go, you just have to take this, the means of clicking through the shoulder buttons until it shows you who's next. And then you have to remember that. List blowing. Phil, go take some LSD. I think you need it. <laughs> um, Let's see here. And there are a couple of battles in the game with AI-controlled characters who you need to keep alive. Everybody's we favorite. always love those. I will give it this. I have seen much worse battles like that. 
the AI, when it's on your side, is mostly concerned with staying away from the enemies and you know what? That's a good thing. I'll, I'll accept yeah. that. Oh, that sounds so lame and boring. I mean, gosh, it's so exciting when you're playing one of those scenarios in a tactical RPG and the person that you have to protect rushes way ahead and you can't, like, you, there's nothing you can do to catch up with that person. They're just going to go ahead and aggro everything on the board and tank it and die and you have to reset. Yay. Why am I thinking of a certain Final Fantasy Tactics fight right now? Oh my gosh, almost every tactical RPG does it. It's It's... It's evil. It's it's. If I'm responsible for keeping that person alive, they need to listen to orders. They need to get back here, back to the back, yeah. way, way to the back. No, I hate it. I kind of miss. They'll start off in the front and they'll just like keep going, and they like can move eight squares around, and all my other characters can only move five. <laughs> yeah, I kind of miss the Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, where you can just you know, order them move generally in this direction, and they will. I got, okay. I got so frustrated at the game for doing that, I started shooting the NPC myself. Just just out of spite. I'm like, you know what, I'm not even going to let the enemy have the pleasure of this death. I'm going to get the pleasure out of it. Oh, yeah. Holy arrow fire! Die! That's not going to help you much either, except as far as uh, relieving stress. Yeah, but it puts a smile on my face. <laughs> Okay, um, oh, the quest system of tactics. My blow-in. I don't know how much you've done with it yet, Nathan. What's this? The quests. Oh, yeah, those. I I did the optional quest, which is a kind of a fight-type one for recruiting Rita, but other than that, it's like, I do not have enough people for this. I'll get back to it later. <laughs> I never did. Yeah, the but game, yeah, I, I recommend taking a, a peek at a fact for some of the dispatch ones, because even though it gives you some kind of vague guideline about what you will need to accomplish them, it'll help you a lot if if you just look at a fact and say, ah, I need somebody with such and such strength and such and such magic or whatever. Otherwise, you'll keep going, but I sent Maxine to teach magic. She's the best mage I've got right now, and she didn't do it. What the hell? Yeah. It sounds like it's basically a falsely tactic system with all those bad points as well as good points. So. Pretty much. Also, the fact that you can get quests in exactly one location, so you're going to constantly be tramping back there. And it's off at the very corner of the map, too. Yeah. But some of those quest battles are pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And, and as you get onto the continent, you'll find some some monster hunting grounds. So if you want to go kill more fishmen or kill ostrich men, which what? are... Yes, ostrich men and ostrich women. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds discriminatory. I don't we have know where duck people. What's wrong with peaceful ostrich people? These are not peaceful ostrich people. The ostrich men wield axes and they will come at you, and the ostrich women have bows and arrows and they will try to fill your head full of holes. I don't know okay. what we ever did to the ostrich people to make them so angry. <laughs> well, let's, let's just blame the Kuluk for that. Why not? It happens in Kuluk territory. What happens in Kuluk stays in Kuluk. And there's another location where you get to fight all those big, ugly frog lizard people or whatever they are. So so th- those are there in case you need to grind a little bit. And because this is Suicoden, that is really good for getting low-level people up and not so good for getting people who are the same level as the enemies up. Yeah, which I've never really hated that system. It works, especially with so many characters. You need something to help people behind to catch up a little. No, it's a, it's a, it's a good system. It's just that unless you do it for a little while, some of the plot battles can be fairly challenging. Yeah, I've already had some difficulty with them, considering, you know, they're hard. They throw a lot of enemies at you all once, and you're often outnumbered, and they hit pretty hard, and they like hitting you with the wrong elements. Boy, do they ever. 
and there are a few the last few battles you get to use 10 people but you usually don't get to do that earlier it's usually 8 or even 6 people that you're stuck with against well it's not like it's not like a super robot tyson game where you just flooded with enemies but then the enemies here are a lot more capable than the grunts in super robot tyson yeah super robot tyson <clears throat> enemies are usually pretty weak but these guys are a little tougher they can kill you in a few hits if you're not careful but IGN says this is a great game for noobs. It can't be that hard. Yeah, it's too complicated and still too hard for newbies. That's all I'll say. If you want a good game, or if you find a decent Fire Emblem game, it's simpler. Eh, with Falsy Tactics, it's easier. Give somebody Fire Emblem Awakening. If that doesn't hook them for tactics games, then I think you've just learned something. Yeah. Um, what was it? I'll have to look up the name of the town, but there was one town in particular where I wished that the music didn't shift every time you went to a different part of the menu because its theme was really catchy. Actually, I'm going to look up that town right now. But, hmm. And a lot of the music is slightly altered from Sweet Code in 4, which is fine. I have no problem with that, really. Oh, and of course, we've got voice acting again. Have we said have we said Yes, yes. You know, I... I think we may have said that, but it bears repeating. Rune Cannon. Rune Cannon. Rune Cannon. Close your mind. <laughs> um, also, I don't really know why Konami chose to have Kirill be voiced by a girl, but... At- yeah, it's just... It doesn't sound right at all. It worked when Kirill was a kid. They kept the same voice when he grew up, and it didn't work anywhere near as well from that point. <laughs> As the main character, so it's not like you can just ignore it. No. Admittedly, he doesn't sound like a girly girl, but it's clearly a woman voicing him. And... Yeah, it's done a few times. I've seen, know that voice actress from uh, several work. Like, you know, it's played Dot Hack is probably familiar with her. They're doing male voices. It, it's not a great main character male voice. Especially not for someone who's supposed to be, you know... <laughs> well, it doesn't work for Hero, I'll say. No. Maybe this is just... This is Konami erring on the side of the Japanese too much because, you know, a lot of gir- a lot of guys who aren't partic- who aren't very old or aren't particularly masculine or voiced by women in, in anime, but this was an odd choice to have it be done here. Yeah. Uh, okay, and the visuals. Somebody apparently was a big fan of cell shading here without yeah, really filling in the cell shading outline. <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's... I don't it's know what to say about it. It's an interesting look. Yeah, it's an interesting look. It's it's, it's clearly designed for a very zoomed out perspective. It, if, so that's what it works best at. So the characters are recognizable at a distance, but up close, they don't look like much, if that makes any sense. I think it says a lot that the characters in Suicoden 4 looked better than their yeah, representations here. Well, I mean, it's the Suicoden 4 had a lot fewer characters on screen at the time than this game, but yeah, this one, it's clearly designed for a very different thing than Suicoden more zoomed out, more characters, more simplified models. More colorful, though. Definitely fit in its favor. At least at least we don't have to put up with load times here. The, the, you do not have to see animations whenever somebody attacks. It just takes place right there on the field. Yeah, I mean... Because I as, like as we fan, saw in... I well, kind of like uh, fancy Super Robot Tyson, Fire Emblem-style animation stuff, but yeah, this is more the Foxy Tactics well, style of just quick animations right on the field. Let me explain myself a little more here. In, if we code in four had those load times for every fight. I don't think Konami, <laughs> given the short lead time here, would have been able to get rid of it, so the battles would have taken even longer for no yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, the load times since Wicked 4 are weird. I mean, 
Shane, going back to that game for a bit, it, it has an interesting thing where there's a lot of little shortcuts and quick scene transitions and cutscenes, which would work well if it didn't have this like short little load time each time it does so. So it's really jarring because one bit uh, elaborate fantasy voice acting, load time, a couple lines, load time. Another bit of voice acted bit. Load time. A few more. You can actually move around and talk to a couple people for just a few steps. Load time. Cutscene. Load time. More dialogue. It's so all over the place at all time. With so many little load times in between. Yeah. Konami clearly had not yet learned... Has Konami ever learned what it should be doing with, with load times, which is eliminating them whenever possible? Yeah, I think they tried. Load times actually often quite short, shorter than you'd expect, but they're still there, and we always hate them. Even if they have like, yeah. Yeah, the the classic swicking little character running thing, which I, I always like. I don't know why I still like that so much, but I do. Yeah, we got that in four. Here we get just get now loading. No, no yes, cute little animation. That's so sad. And four had that nice little. If you've got Jean in your party, then she'll be the character running on the screen. That's cute. Oh, and Jean is in Sweet Code and Tactics. Vicky is, of unfortunately. What? She's not no. crime. Uh, let's see. There's there's a rank A quest, and if you've been killing elemental spirits, then you should have everything you need for it. So you just take some stuff to the town of Haruna, which is the town with the really cool music, so I'll have to make sure that's played in in this episode. And you, you give Jean this stuff, and as thanks, she just joins you. <laughs> Add Shocker of Shockers. Jean is really good with magic. Who would have oh, guessed? Of and she's a lightning elemental. Which um, goes back quite a while, actually. Well, let's see. What else is there to say about tactics? Well, you played a lot more than me, so I'm running out of material <laughs> already. But. Um, yeah, I, th- I th- Well, with a tactical game, what it really comes down to is, are the battles interesting and fun? And for the most part, I would say that they are. Yeah, they're not bad. I mean, it can be a little tedious at times. I died a few too many times. I died around an embarrassing number of times to an early one, which I'm ashamed of, but... Yeah, yeah. It, it's got interface issues galore. Yeah. It's don't expect a narrative that instantly redeems Vicodin Four because you're not going to get it. But it tries, but just too hard of a task. But if you're a Vicodin fan, you should play it because it's better than Four. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. That's that's like saying a sandwich that's been out for two days is better than the one that's been out for a week. <laughs> but it's not a high bar. It, it is. If you are a tactical fan, you should you really should play this because it does some interesting things, and it's all about the battles of tactical ones, and it pretty much delivers. Not to the point where you're going to go, this this blows away everything I've ever played in a tactical game, but it's also nothing like Hoshigami. <laughs> and yeah, I think we've pretty much run dry now, <laughs> except for the annoying part that the girl who gives you the quests will only join you. And is a plot character, so she cannot be killed in a new game plus. <laughs> Go figure. That feels so wrong. It's like a game. Someone who won't join you until after the game? <laughs> I don't pretend to understand how that even works from a metaphysical standpoint. Oh, and there are those interesting characters. Renee, that's who I was thinking of. The girl with the dowsing ability. But there are some others from Suicoden 4, like um, uh, Carrie, the medical, the nurse, Dr. Yu... A um, couple others who who cannot fight, in fact, will die very quickly because they cannot fight, but they can do interesting things in battle like dig for stuff, like heal you from a distance or access your inventory at any point that makes them unique. Actually, that's just, another, 
just another way that it does, in fact, feel like a Suikoden game translated into the tactical realm. Yes, yeah, if there's nothing else, it's actually trying to do that, it's succeeding quite well. I approve. Too bad, just like the rest of the series, where you don't see actually a continuation of this. <sighs> no, from what I understand, from this point on, we go to something that pretty much redeems the series. Then we go to Konami tossing that aside and doing something else entirely. And then we go to something that Konami couldn't even be bothered to bring across the ocean. Uh, something that fans can't even be bothered to talk about. Well, we will one day, but this is not that day. No. Because we we had plenty to say on foreign tactics as it is. Yeah. Tactics. We can talk about the other ones later. And tactics will yeah. not blow your pocketbook. Aww. You can get so we go to tactics for about uh, you know twelve plus bucks. Even brand new in the shrink wrap, you can get it for under twenty. What? There's no hundred dollar sealed copy on half for this. No, I can't understand that's, it. Phil. That's for that's for the cool number four that everyone's trying to get their hands on. <laughs> number four. I, I, come, no, come don't do this. Number four. Come on, man. Drop drop the drop the C bill, man. Have you seen the new hundred dollar bills? They're like Canadian money. It's it's really kind of interesting. Yeah, get get yourself a C bill, admire it, and then plop it down for so we could in four brand new, black label. Hmm. Hmm. You know, Phil, I may do that years from now when I have had a chance to forget Spicoden 4 and convince myself that it's worth more than I now know it is. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Well. Oh, oh, and in Spicoden Tactics, if you have a complete a 108 Stars of Destiny file, then you can import two characters for use here. You can import Laszlo, whose Rune of Punishment is awesome in this game because it has an amazing range and hits really hard. And you can import Snow, who starts at level 1 and has a combo attack with Laszlo, who should probably be doing other things instead of comboing with Snow, so you will ignore him entirely. As things should be. The way nature intended. All right. Had to throw that in. All right. Our minds have been blown. We're ready for the final lap, which we're going to run... We come back. do the final lap. This is where we do all the kitchen sink stuff. We read your comments. We tell you what's coming up. We blab about what we're playing or what we're watching or whatever comes to mind because dang it, it's the kitchen. It's the final lap. We just do it all. There's no comments because 
I just edited it like two shows to like two shows backed up in editing. No, Strawberry did give us a comment for like the one the shining episode. Yeah, the shining episode for like yeah, two episodes. And ago. somebody did give a comment for I'm the juggernaut, bitch. Which just said the juggernaut wins again. Which he does. Yeah, he does. As you would know if you had played that game. Oh. The juggernaut wins. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, the next RPG backtrack, number 108, is Coins, Robots, Knights, and Phantoms, where we'll be talking about a bunch of tactical PS1 games. People didn't know, so a lot of people don't know just how many tactical RPGs the PS1 got, or if you mention tactical PS1 games, the only one that they can mention or think of is Final Fantasy Tactics, occasionally Front Mission 3, but no, there was, there was a lot more. Um, aside from the uh, what was the uh, Van Vandit Heart Vandal Hearts that we spoke of not too long ago, uh, <laughs> apparently there's a whole bunch of other games that got, for the most part, from, if memory serves correctly, a lot of these just got mediocre scores, so they kind of faded into the background. But we're gonna separate the the men from the boys, so to speak, on our next show, and tell you which of those uh, games are worth your time and a position on your backlog, and which one of them you should take and use as coasters for your hot chocolate that you're having during this cold season. So that's coming up on RPG Backtrack number 108. Okay, so what, uh, what's on your mind? What are you thinking? What are you doing, Mr. Nathan? Um, as I have been for the last several months, I'm still playing Fossil 14. And I've been miserable because I hate a dungeon. Hate a dungeon? Uh, How can you hate a dungeon? They're so cute and adorable. They have monsters in them. Um, you know what a Marble is, right? The Marlboro? Oh, yeah, they're really cute. They breathe all kinds of garbage on the party, give them lots of status ailments. I always remember them yeah. because I always think, you know, they have the cigarettes called Marlboros. And, you know, if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to get all kinds of weird diseases and stuff. And so that's why Marlboros, they breathe smoke in the party, and the party gets all kinds of weird diseases and stuff. Yeah, well, imagine that as the most powerful one ever in the end of a dungeon, with standing a giant mass of poisonous toxic goo. And you're constantly taking damage, and it's using bad breath, and it's, you know, spitting out fruits that have turned to more marbles. Nice. Yeah. it's the, I haven't failed yet in a dungeon in that game until I ran into that dungeon. And it's, I failed twice, and each time it's taken more than an hour. Wow. I'm a little fed up with it. Yeah, that that could be a little frustrating. It kind of used to happen a lot back in the day of, wow, you take it like 30, 40 minutes just to get a group together, and then you get in there and you get like 20 minutes in, and either a boss kills you or the group, and you just get all pissy. Yeah, especially if the group falls yeah. apart. But there's there will be times where you go in and do this dungeon two, three, four times, and you keep dying. Eventually, you know, somebody has to leave to go take care of their kids or something, and you're like, oh, mother, beep, beep, beep. I wasted the whole night, and I didn't even beat that beep, beep, beep dungeon. Yeah, that's how I can feel. Yeah, I understand the sentiment only too well. Do anything? Unfortunately, I don't. Go ahead. I was fortunate I haven't had too much of trouble with getting a group together because you know Duty Finder finds a group for you, and because uh, we're team, my brother and I are team up as a healer and tank, it finds the group instantly. Oh yeah, that's how those things work. But unfortunately, finding a good group is different things than finding a group. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem with those pugs. Same thing with World of Warcraft. I would play a tank, get a friend who plays a healer, you pretty much get instant group, but yeah, sometimes you you get the uh, low-hanging fruit, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It should be like a... There should be... I, I guess the next step of Dungeon Finders or whatever they're called, Duty Finders or whatever in these MMOs, it'd be neat if you could like rate the other players with a star rating. They're actually going to 
implement that, and a lot of people are wary of that, mm-hmm. but it, it's actually kind of on the way for Fallout 4. Yeah, if it's kind of anonymous and stuff, and it was just kind of your score, maybe that somehow gave you priority when being cho- I don't know, might help. Oh, well. Uh, what else? You do anything for the site? You playing any other games? Um, for the site, not as much lately. I feel bad that I haven't been doing much news, but I've been here in the background occasionally doing this. Well, I know um, if Becky was still here, she would tell us about that site, that story she put up on Sunday. This this thing Atlas announced involving that, that Persona, <laughs> Persona series. Persona, yeah. Stayed up late to watch that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, just you know, I was busting my gut laughing when they got to the dance game. Persona Four dance game. It's like we're all waiting for Persona Five, and they show that. It was hilarious. And then you are slave. Want emancipation? Sure, I want whatever you want to give us because it's Persona Five. Persona. Yeah, now yeah, I like, I kind of saw that been too. Been long enough since four. Yeah, I was all excited. Yeah. I'm like seven years since the last one or something like that. I'm like all excited or six years or something. Like, yeah, wait, wait, what's this trailer? It's just some chairs with some cha- Lonnie Mansa. Who? I can't pronounce that word. What the hell? <laughs> Yeah, well, we've known it was in development for a long time. It's just glad to have it finally announced it with a release window at that. And a platform. So people can finally stop arguing on the internet about what platform it should be for. At least it's on a console, period. Yeah, well, I'm okay with it being on handheld, personally. If it's on PC... Something, tells me, it, something tells me it will be on handheld without too much of a lapse. I, all the yeah, other eventually. personas are on handheld now. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, if it's on Vita, I'd be in trouble since I don't have one. I don't particularly want one unless the Vita TV comes over. But PS3, uh, we I don't know do yet. That's fine. We don't know yet if it, the 3DS could handle it easily or not. We'll we'll see. I uh, I tell you what, if they if they do start coming out, which I'm sure it's down the road, but if they ever do start coming out with some good RPGs on the PS4, I will just be in hog heaven because that that remote play works really well with the Vita. The only drawback I'm having is because right now we got a bunch, all we got on the PS4 are pretty much action games. The Vita doesn't have four shoulder buttons, it only has two. So you have to use the back of the Vita on the touchpad uh, with your back fingers to. What's that? That sounds messy. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah, yeah. Especially in games that require the left two and right two buttons, and especially when they're action shooter games where reflexes are important. Uh, it is very beautiful, very gorgeous. It just the streaming is done very, very well. Like there's almost no lag. It's very responsive, but the, the control mechanism for those last two shoulder buttons can be a little irritating. But I can imagine an RPG where my speed and reflexes aren't necessarily a big whoop, and uh, the you know the fact that it's a smaller screen isn't such a detriment. Uh, boy, if I was playing Ninakuni or something like that remotely, I'm playing on my couch, and hey, we're gonna go to bed. Uh, I want to lay on the bed for like 30 minutes before I go to sleep. I can continue my game. Oh gosh, I'd be in hog heaven because that they did they did do a really good job. It's much much better than a cross link between the PS3 and the Vita. I still can't get that to work half the time, even on games that are eligible to work on it. Oh, I digressed. I'm sorry. Anything else, Nathan? No, I think that's about it. Sorry for always boring. But... No, no, actually, yeah. no, not too much. No, no, kind of just made me think of my Vita though, because you're like, oh, I'd be in trouble if it was on a Vita. Yes, get the Vita. It's calling you. <laughs> I, if they give me the Vita TV, I'll happily get it. Especially if they give me God Eater too, because I really want that. Other than that, I've been just mad on the whole thing and not at that price. I don't need another handheld because the 3DS is wonderful. And, it is. Yeah. It is. It's doing a really good job with the 3DS. And 
Uh, I bet you know, only because of Disgaea have I been really giving a lot of time to you know to my Vita to where I could say I've almost been spending more time on the Vita than the than the 3DS just because I've been diving so much into Disgaea 3 lately. So it is a good game. It's so cute, and oh my gosh, on the handheld, it's just yeah, perfect portable RPG goodness. How about you, Mister uh, Minky? Well. Lately, I have been I have just started Vanguard Bandits, and apparently, it is in fact short enough that I will be able to complete it easily in time for next week. I've, although there are multiple paths, so I might try to do try to see a little bit more while I can. Because uh, what do you know? I seem to have stumbled onto the bad ending path somehow. I don't know how I did that, but I did. And yes, it's got those wonderful working designs, localization hallmarks. Um, though it's been pretty light on the now incredibly dated pop culture stuff. But I'll let you know. And I continue to plug away at Agarest Generations of War. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. I'm really glad you did. Because you two have soldiers in the family and you want to acknowledge their sacrifice by talking about a war? I don't know. You know... What's really awesome, because I know you love this game, and I know that your heart desires that every single one of our listening audience owned a copy, so they could, too could enjoy the wonders and surprise and the awesomeness that is Agoras Generations of War. Well, you'll be happy to know, Mike, that Steam currently is having a sale on Agoras Generations of War. Normally priced at nineteen ninety nine, it's forty percent off, only eleven ninety nine. But wait, you're saying, Phil, that's awesome, but is there more? Well, yes, there is. Because not only are you going to get Agoras Generations of War, you're going to get a metric ton of bonus content all for free at that price. The offense-defense pack, the additional points pack, the first four add-on dungeons, the recovery skill pack, the flower pack, and the general purpose. Come on, Mike. Doesn't that just blow your mind? I'm kind of wishing I had some of those packs yet, which some of the DLC has been trickling into me, but it takes a little while. Because... That means that I get tougher weapons, and that means I can kill things faster. There you go. Although, although twelve dollars, that means at a conservative estimate, you're getting roughly uh, eight hours of playtime per dollar. So, my do I do my math right? Yeah, that would uh, imply ninety-six hours of gameplay. That's at a conservative estimate. I mean, I am not done with the third generation yet, out of five, and I'm at sixty-seven hours. Mm-mm-mm. That is a long game. Yes, it is. And it's made <laughs> longer because every bit, of, every stitch of time that I play where the game crashes ends up recorded too. Yeah, are you, I was about to say, are you looking at your <laughs> Steam play time? Because the Steam will record every minute even you know if you crash and reload it, whereas normally a game only saves how much time you've been through on that one save file. Yeah, I... I can't even say that it crashes constantly. It seems to... It only crashes, for me, some of the time when I go into a town. Which, of course, why would I ever want to go into a town in an RPG? Why would I ever want to avail myself of town services? I can't imagine. But even if I were to ignore that, I can't, because sometimes there's a plot point in a town that boots me right into the town after it's over, and then it'll crash! So I get to go through the next the ten minutes of plot again, so it'll crash again. The record it's done this so far is five times in a row, and then I just set it down for a day and came back, and of course it finally worked, which means that I get to keep going. 
and it's also done this in, it, it's so cute when the game has a fight and after the fight you get booted back into town and then it crashes that's just so cute and lovable I, I can't come up with adequate words to describe how endearing it is you will not see a review of this for a while because again I, I'm not done with the third generation I may be over the halfway hump but that still means I'm probably going to be going over a hundred hours with this game I'm not giving it any adjectives right now I, I might not be able to stop for a while but rest assured this has educated me in what Idea Factory is all about and now that I know I'm going to steer clear of Idea Factory <laughs> Come on. You love Idea Factory. I mean, who can not like a factory that pumps out ideas? I don't think we have a review for Spectral Souls Genesis either, but I'm not going to take it on. I just refuse that uncategorically. And I'll get I'll mention a couple movies too because, you know, that's what I do. I'm not going to mention all of them because the one time I did that, we were here for a good 5 minutes or so. But if you get to, if anybody gets the chance to see Gunfight at the OK Corral, when you put Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas together, you have to work pretty damn hard to make the results not watchable. And this movie fails to be unwatchable. It's it's Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. Those guys are awesome. Same thing for The Devil's Disciple, which features an awesome Burt Lancaster sequence of him trying to toss a burning log out into a bunch of cannon shells so that they'll blow up and several people getting in his way when actually breaking a chair against his back. Well, that it's Burt Lancaster. The man is awesome. He just looks he just looks kind of startled after the chair is broken on against his back and after he gets a little one-two from a stupid British officer and then floors him with one hit because it's Burt Lancaster. That man rules. Um, oh, and the Elephant Man which is probably the least weird movie David Lynch will ever make and is very interesting to watch. I'm glad I saw it. It takes you back to a time when Anthony Hopkins was not known for being Hannibal Lecter. And I'll stop now. That's enough. They're mind-blowing. Didn't, uh, didn't our good friends at Rift Tracks have some interesting new dealies up? Let's see... I recall that Rift Tracks is doing a new live show, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, next week. <laughs> As everyone who has seen Santa Claus Conquers the Martians would concur, it is a very, very riffable movie. In fact, it's already been riffed by Mystery Science Theater. I thought that sounded familiar. What was that, Nathan? I said, I imagine something with that title would be riffable. <laughs> well, if you haven't seen it, here's the, here's the gist. The Martians have decided that because their children have no joy, they're going to kidnap Santa and bring him to Mars so that he can introduce Martian children to Christmas joy. (laughs) And if you're thinking to yourself, that is a great idea, that is an awesome concept, well, you just need to get off whatever drugs you're on and get right back down to Earth, mister. (laughs) And of course, the Martians are played by people wearing bodysuits with green makeup on their faces. That's it, really. Do they take this seriously at all? Please tell me they don't. Um, some of them do. There's one Martian who hates the very idea of children knowing joy. So, of course, he's the villain, and he kind of takes it seriously. But there's another Martian named Droppo who just does unfunny pratfalls all the time and seems to be... I don't know, he's the... 
how do you do comic relief in a movie like this? I don't know, but he tries it, and he's you kind of have to see the result for yourself. It's it's not like anything else. I, I imagine not. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, and it also features a Martian robot, which is clearly a Halloween costume somebody came up with for five bucks, and for some reason there are two Earth children running around the North Pole while a polar bear, which is also a five dollar Halloween costume <laughs> attacks them in an ice drift I truly a unique movie especially the climax where Santa has an army of toys that um, are overpowering the evil Martian by uh, horrible editing I think I think that's what's happening I'm not really sure killer toys they're not even killers. They're not really fighting. They're just doing what toys do. They're playing Edited the Martians together to in, death? in an epileptic fashion. <laughs> That's too funny. Uh, it kind of reminds me too of the um, yeah. I run uh, I run three or four pen and paper RPGs. One of my play by post, uh, they're in an abandoned lodge, uh, and there are you know there there are some scripted dolls like. Chuck, you know, they, they reminded me of Chucky dolls by the picture, but in the book, they were just supposed to, like, spook the players. But uh, I'm a little bit more sadistic than that. So I had the dolls jumping out of closets, you know, driving a dagger into one of the players' eye, laughing as he's running off type of deal. Yeah. That's what You're I call so fun. Shoot. Well, uh, let's see here. I got all kinds of just little things from from all over. I'm mentioning the uh, in the role playing section, the pen and paper role playing games. We uh, the players kind of finally got bored of being the bad guys and skulls and shackles. We'd actually gotten through about seventy five percent of that pre written campaign from Paizo, and it was kind of enjoyable, but. Uh, the players felt kind of uh, disconnected. It's kind of hard to do, to role play an evil, an epic evil campaign. It's fun to play like an evil guy's first session or two, but when you try to turn that into a two year campaign, it, it can be a little trying. And uh, I think we just kind of ran out of steam. So they're rebooting, and we're going to be doing one of my good old fashioned homebrew campaigns. Uh, I let them vote. We have a whole bunch. I have a whole bunch of the pre written campaigns from Paizo. And then I have some from Dungeon Dragons back in the Wizard of Coast days, but uh, they want to do one of my break, get it out. You know, as my wife likes to say, "Do you make this stuff up out of your ass?" Like, yeah, those are the best kind of homebrews. That's how you do it. You got to do it on the fly. So yeah, we'll be doing that. We're playing Reign of Winter, a Monday campaign, and that's more of a traditional. Well, it's traditional as far as your good guys, and you're ultimately trying to save the world. And that's easier to role play out when you're, you know, team members who need to be selfless once in a while and, you know, sacrifice and take one for the team to keep, you know, the weaker guy alive or whatever. Pirates, they all tend to scatter when you're a bad guy and there's a dragon coming in. Instead of being, oh, I'll take that hit so the magic user doesn't die in the back, which dude, you get out of the dragon's way because you're selfish. <laughs> and so that's what kind of gets old really quickly. But uh, Reign of Winter, at least uh, the the goal is traditional. The theme of it of hopping to different planes and one of those planes uh, eventually uh, that you hop to is a little place called Earth and uh, and that the name of that book and it's not a spoiler because it's right on the book it's called Rasputin Must Die I think that's like the fourth or the fifth book out of the sixth book pre-written campaign so everyone just wants to get to that book they want to know you know how might and magic and sorcery interacts when you're thrust into a more modern day Earth setting so that will be interesting when we get there. We're about halfway through book two on that one now. 
I've been playing smaller groups lately with just three players instead of usually I end up with six or seven or eight players. And so things go a lot faster that way. Uh, let's see here. We're looking, all, looking on the internet for just things that retro people might be interested in, just, just all over. I'm mostly coming from my friends at GOG.com. I love them. They don't pay us to advertise. I advertise them because I just think they're awesome, and, and they got a great collection of retro games and RPGs that you got to love. There's a game on there called Dragon Lore. Uh, the Legend Begins. It's from 1994, December 31st, 1994. It was developed by Cairo Interactive, a single player. It it says it's a point-and-click fantasy adventure game, though looking at the screenshots, it looks more like a first-person kind of... Uh, a Skyrim RPG type of deal because you do got weapons. You go and you hit people upside the head. You talk to people. There's a lot of dialogue in the screenshots. I've never... And you can cast spells and there's symbols and stuff. So it looks very much like a very rough, you know, early first person like a Kingsfield type of deal. But I'm kind of curious if anybody in there listening on this has ever played this classic game. I'd love to hear from you. You can write on boards or write to jcsurfing at rpgamer.com or you can even record your thoughts on an MP3. Uh, keep that to about under two to three minutes and then you can email that to me and I'd love to pin it to the end of the show. You can do that for just about any good old-fashioned. We'd love to hear our, our listeners talk about their favorite old games. Uh, we call it gushing. Uh, I'm going to do a little gush here in just a minute. But uh, if any of y'all play Dragon Lore, I'd love to hear more. For some reason, I don't ever remember seeing this one on the store shelves. I don't know if that's for a good reason or bad reason. Is it a good game or a bad game? Looking at some of the GOG reviews, it's averaging three and a half stars, which is usually considered mediocre. But I see like one five-star review from this one guy who calls it an adventure RPG fest. So that's why I'm thinking maybe it says it's more adventure than RPG, though. But I'm kind of curious what, what anybody who's actually played it thought. Going back even further into our RPG history, uh, GOG.com now has Wasteland 1, the original Fallout-inspiring classic, from, released on January 1st, 1988 by Exile Entertainment, another single-player RPG experience. Uh, I already own it because I'm a supporter of the Wasteland, uh, what's it called, a Kickstarter dealie for the new Wasteland 2 that they're working on. So I got that for I got the code to redeem it on GOG for free since I've already donated to their cause. Uh, so it's not showing me the price on GOG, but it's probably like a five ninety nine game. Probably get on. There's probably gonna be a big GOG Thanksgiving so You can probably get it cheaper than that if you want to wait. But look at the screenshots. Yeah, this is definitely nineteen eighty eight. Reminds me a lot. Of the screenshots just remind me a little bit of Bard's Tale or uh, Wizardry. One of the Wizardry classics. You got the names and the hit points and everything there at the bottom, and some very rough uh, sixteen color pictures at the top of the monsters or whatever that you're looking at. Uh, it's got four and a half stars from 181 user rating, so a lot of people remembering this as a really good game. Uh, according to the notes, it's the godfather of modern post-apocalyptic CRPGs, one of the first reactive and immersive worlds that developed, uh, that delivered persistent consequences to player choices. So I did not play Wasteland One again. If you any of y'all have played it, I would like to hear more about how it delivered persistent consequences for player choice. I'd love to see some more details about that. Apparently, it's it features a toggable modern option, such as new paragraph voiceover, new music tracks, and updated portraits, or you can play in the original classic mode to get the original experience. One of the files that I got for this was a bunch of paragraphs. Back in the old days with these disc, uh, these RPGs that came on disc, there wasn't enough space to actually include all the text of the story, so a lot of times they would tell you to turn to page 15 in your instruction book and read the third paragraph, and that was like the next chunk of the story. You're reading it from a book. 
And they couldn't even fit on, you know, they just couldn't get on the disc, so you wouldn't be able to read on screen. So maybe this more modern version, I guess, allows you to uh, to see the words on the screen rather than having to look it up on the text file every every few minutes. So, anywho, the uh, predecessor, Wasteland 2, 20 years later uh, or so, will be uh, coming out soon, and I'll keep you updated on that since I get the, uh, I get, I'll get the note when they release it so I can go get my copy. Uh, give a plug for Avadon to the Corruption. Uh, I've mentioned Spiderweb RPGs before. Uh, the team there, or the team of three <laughs> at Spiderweb, creates tactical RPGs. They are very much in the vein of the Gold Box RPGs, the D and D Gold Box RPGs meets like They're the Ultima. So, what? So very old school. Very very old school. Yeah. So. If, uh, if you like the uh, Ultima thing where you can kind of see little items and pick them up and you don't know what you're going to do with them, y- yeah, uh, tactical RPG. Uh, but not 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 quite as co- overly complicated like the Gold Box RPGs when it comes to the tactical combat. Turn-based, uh, turn-based deal, which we're talking a lot about uh, this week and next week. A lot more tactical RPG. So if you're looking for something for your computer, you can get that at GOG.com. I want to say it's nine ninety nine, and that is for uh, Windows XP, Vista seven and eight, and it'll also work on Mac OS X version uh, ten six eight or newer. So highly recommended. It's already got four and a half stars so, from so fifty two users. So all the are not excluded. No, no, they get to jump right in and have some fun with Avadon yeah, two, the corruption. This is a company that has always supported Apple products. Yeah. What about the That's Linux great. users? He. I'm trying to remember if he does the Linux release. You can check out Spideweb. Uh, boy, I can't remember if it's a com or whatever have you. You have to Google. Just Google Spiderweb software. Uh, I want to say yes, Mike, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I'm just asking that for the record because I do not use Linux. I do not have that much time to program. To pro- yeah, to, to fire. Well, you know, Steam's, Steam's definitely looking at Linux to create their Steam box and whatever, but the, that's the thing that comes to my mind is like, how would you get all these games to work on that? If the developers don't develop a Linux version, how does that? How do you even get most of your games? You got this massive li- that's Steam selling point now is they got this huge massive library, but if ninety five percent of it's not available <laughs> because it won't work outside of a Windows environment, it could be a yeah, little difficult. Well, this anything that works on Apple should be able to work on Linux since uh, the Mac OS uses a Linux kernel. But... Hmm. Then that would that would that would yeah that would substantially increase what they could throw on there because. They do have a fair number of Apple uh, compatible games on there. Yeah, I don't know exactly how that works, but I'm certain there's some Linux people who know how to make that conversion work. Mm. Since Linux people are pretty dedicated. Yeah. yeah, if you work with Linux, you know your programming. Hey, I hate paying. I think it's a ripoff when every time I buy a new computer, I almost always end up having to buy a new copy of Windows 2. Uh, being a controller and accountant, that just drives me crazy. I should just be able to keep that one license I paid for 10 years ago and keep putting it on every new computer that I get. But uh, but at the same time, I don't want to mess with all that programming of Linux. Let, let me tell you a quick story here about how Windows operates. My dad works for the library here. And uh, what was it, 12 years ago, the Bill Gates Foundation donated a whole bunch of computers to the libraries here, along with the schools and whatnot. And it provided the software. And then a couple years later, it provided the upgrades for the software. Now, uh uh-uh, no more free software upgrades. You want to upgrade your Windows, which of course is XP, so it won't be working much longer? You get to pay. Yeah. That's how Windows operates. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they're doing like the same thing with Office. They don't want you to buy the full-blown Office version that used to pay. It was not cheap date. It was expensive as heck. But no, no, no. Now we want you to pay monthly for access to Microsoft Office. It's just – it's such a ripoff. But yeah, I have an XP computer as well. Uh, I use Windows XP uh, for my main desktop 
simply because it's the most compatible with the huge selection of retro games that I have. Whereas, well, my wife has seven, and I have seven on my laptop, and occasionally with some of the older games, you know, even from GOG, you have to, if you're, if you got a Windows 7 or 8 computer, when you buy your game from GOG.com, you always need to do a double check to make sure that the game has been made compatible with that newer system. But for, for, for every game that I've gotten off of GOG works with XP. Uh, so that's why I like my Windows XP. But when they, when they stop support, it, it's not that those computers are going to stop working spontaneously or anything like that. They're just not going to be doing, you know, you won't be getting security updates or whatever the heck, you know, that are coming out. But your computer's not going to spontaneously implode or anything. It's not going to, like, cut off on that day and not turn on and give you a warning. Hey, sorry, but your XP's expired. Sucks to be you. Upgrade now. Haha. <laughs> but, Yeah. They're just not going to keep supporting it with patches and stuff. Which means maybe I'll stop getting that little paperclip at the bottom that says, Hey, I've noticed that your version of Windows needs to be updated. How can I help you with that? Yeah. Hmm. Clippy, gotta love him. Anywho, uh, my last... That was Microsoft's choice for a mascot. <laughs> a mascot, right. My uh, my last plug for the night uh, from GOG is for Quest for Glory 1 through 5. This was a series of adventure point-and-click fantasy games with some RPG elements. I think I've talked about them before, but I'm not super, super sure. But uh, GOG released this about a year or so ago, and I pretty much had a nerdgasm because getting those on a disc was really hard. Uh, most of the time you have to give them a floppy disc or something. I think they did it re- – I'm trying to remember if they ever released a CD compilation, but if they did, I had a heck of a time finding it on eBay and such. Um, or it was just so expensive I'm like closed it down before I looked too hard into it. But now you can get on GOG for I think it's like ten dollars for the whole pack. Yeah, nine ninety nine, and it has all five of the of the Quest for Glory games, including the very first one. Uh, the, like I said, they're click and point adventure games. The original one was in sixteen colors. Later on, they moved on to VGA. The GOG collection includes a remake of Quest for Glory one that was later released in higher VGA colors because, uh, like I said, the original game was like sixteen. But you you venture through these really cool um, uh, fantasy world with all the fantasy creatures that you're used to seeing and stuff. Uh, you'll fight orcs and whatever have you. You do have statistics that you that go up as you – I want to say as you use them. There's some puzzle mechanics in there as well. I grab an FAQ for that because I hate to think while I'm playing role-playing games. Like think about puzzles anyways. I like thinking about well, how should I level up, but I hate thinking about puzzles. Go figure. Um, a walking conflict. Uh, but you'll choose from fighter, magic, user, and thief. And what's really cool is that if memory serves correctly, between certain games, if not the whole series, you can bring your character from game to game. So uh, it is it is universally acclaimed as one of the best adventure games ever developed. They say that on the page. The reviews back it up. It's got five out of five stars from 966 users. So very, very much a highly recommended um, type of thing. So... That's my last plug for GOG. And we want you to go out and check out RP Gamer. Everything here is sponsored by IGN.com, your place for RPG review. Oh, wait a minute. No, not IGN, is it? I'm surprised Mike didn't stop me there. Well, why should I stop you? You've been praising <laughs> IGN up to the, to the roof. We're giving IGN why all these free I, plugs. Like, why, again, why would I ever think to say... IGN no longer deserves such a thing. Yeah. So uh, all of this is supported and produced by RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. This uh, this week or the last two weeks or whatever since I last talked about the site, we have uh, we have some new reviews up. We have Two Brothers Review by Alex Fuller. 
I don't quite remember what that is, but I'm sure you can go and check it that out. Is, that is an indie title on the PC, and I don't remember much about it either. And only RP gamers reviewing these indie titles, I swear, because I don't see these on IG. Okay, so two brothers, go check <laughs> that out. Uh, we also have uh, some news about the Final Fantasy X remakes. We got some videos you might want to check out if you're a fan of Final Fantasy X. We got some more videos. Apparently, if you have never played it, then you shouldn't necessarily watch this because it is spoilers. Yes, 10-year-old spoilers, which we fully support here no, it, on the backtrack. It's 12-year-old. 12-year-old. Oh, my bad. No. Yeah. Uh, we've got some uh, trailers, some more trailers for Lightning Returns, the upcoming... Uh, Final Fantasy 13 sequel. Completing the Final Fantasy 13 trilogy. trilogy. Which really means that we should be up with 10 2 and all that. We really should be up with like Final Fantasy 18 by now, maybe, but. Uh, Atlas it labors to release Conception 2. I love that title. Uh, that title, that news article. So you want to read about uh, Michael, our editor in chief, Michael Cunningham, has written an article about uh, Atlas' uh, upcoming game, Conception 2 Children of the Sons. You definitely want to read this. It's definitely out there in left field so if you like really weird things we got an article about turn-based rpgs that are up for kickstarting by miss becky cunningham and lots of videos and links there last but not least we got a review of brigandine by some guy named mike moigny i can't remember now i don't know who this guy is anyways you'll want to check that out you've never heard of him before never heard of him before never I may, in fact, be talking about that on our next show. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So if you want, we have a review of something called called Kamrai, which Michael Baker brought us from Japan, and I proofed that review, so I know a little bit about the game now. And regardless of how good a story a game offers, when when you tell me that I have to go two, three hours at points before I can save, that does not make me happy. What does that make you happy, Phil? Oh, elated. Oh, and, and I know you'll just love this. He described that there's some kind of relationship system where unless the people on your team like you, they won't necessarily do what you tell them. And in fact, they might just decide to leave you in the middle of the battle and let you, your main character handle it on his own. Mm, don't, give, don't give away too much. It's right there in his text. I know. Just to tantalize them. Besides, it, it's, it's a Japan-only PS1 title. I don't think many people are going to be going after Everyone's it. rushing out to get it now. So, yeah, check it all out, rpgamer.com. We're the only ones reviewing old, really old RPGs and weird third-party indie titles and everything else in between and giving you giving you videos on Kickstarter programs and such. So check it out. It's all at rpgamer.com. Uh, big, huge thanks to – was that Sam or Becky on earlier today? <laughs> You know, it was one of them. And a big thanks to Nathan. I remember Nathan being on here. He's awesome. Uh, I couldn't have done it without him tonight. It would have been the Mike Minky show. And we don't want that, do we, Mike? It gets dangerous. I've We've had to do that a couple of times, and we don't want to do it any more than is absolutely necessary. And uh, Mr. Minky, who puts this all together, it would not be possible without his help as well. And I'm Phil Willis. You can shoot me off an email at jcservant at rpgamer.com or jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com. Occasionally I get Facebook requests from y'all. I don't really do Facebook friends, uh, but you're more than welcome to follow me at twitter.com forward slash jcservant. You can, you can follow me maybe at facebook.com forward slash jcservant, I guess. I'm not sure how those 
how I got that set up, but I generally try to encourage people to follow my Twitter feed and uh, in anything that I do with RP Gamer when I update the shows. Uh, I'm just sharing my opinions about RPGs, whatever. I pretty much do that exclusively through Twitter now. Um, anything I'm working on, and I do other stuff as well outside of RP Gamer. So everything shows up in that one Twitter feed, and it's much easier for me to manage that than all the privacy settings on Facebook. Anywho, uh, but you can do that at Twitter.com. And RP Gamer, of course, has a couple of feeds. you got Twitter.com forward slash RP Gamer, as well, if I'm not mistaken, it's Facebook.com forward slash RP Gamer. And that's really the best Facebook uh, thing if you're a Facebook fan to subscribe to, because that way you not only get updated on all the new episodes of RPG Backtrack, but you're kept up to date with our plethora of reviews, news, interviews, and articles about your favorite role-playing games from yesteryear. And all the way up through today. So, check that all out. I believe that's the full speech, right, Mike? Am I missing any legalese? Not unless you have a lawyer right there who wants to inform everyone of exactly what their rights are and what can and cannot be used in, conne- in, convention- in connection with this material for profit or personal use. Yeah. Uh, and since I do not have a lawyer right here, I cannot give you that speech. Anybody that we've referred to on this show has been completely fictional and made up. And any real tie-ins with any real person, live, dead, deceased, or whatever, is purely coincidental. Just saying. So, we'll see you... I think that covers it. <laughs> we'll see you on the next RPG Backtrack. Mr. Minky, do you want to put us to bed? I think we've done that to ourselves pretty well. We we just took a long ocean voyage that was Spicoden 4, and then we killed a bunch of fishmen in Spicoden tactics, neither of which I think will be claimed as by anyone as the heights of the Spicoden series. But better better times will come, and then be followed by Konami not doing anything with the with the license. But you gotta take what you can get here. Mm-hmm.